Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Joe Rogan experience of Extreme Metal Podcasts once again. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. the Death Metal Guy. And I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. the Black Metal Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, but let's be honest, only gentlemen, we have reached a momentous occasion in Terminus history. We are at the one-year anniversary of the podcast starting. I will edit in a bunch of air horn sounds and maybe a We the Best or something like that right here. And uh, to celebrate this momentous occasion, we have for the first time in Terminus history a guest host. And may you, shall you introduce yourself, my friend? Oh, I'm, I'm Nick from uh, Hessian Firm, small, tiny label. Uh, a small, tiny label, but very, very close to our cold, shriveled hearts, because uh, as long-term uh, Terminus historians know, uh, it was Nick who really kind of first discovered us when we covered the first Ancient Gates record last year, uh, and we've been talking ever since. He's the guy who gave us the push and made us as wildly successful as we are today, so <laughs> it's good to have you on, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure it is. great. You know, I still remember going on, because you, you guys were only on, like, Podbean or Podcastbean, I don't know. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I remember spending the whole day, like, oh, wait, they don't have an email. Let me write a comment. Oh, wait, I've got to download the app. Oh, wait, no, I can use the browser. So I think I left you guys, like, 52 <laughs> comments that day. Like, maybe they might respond. <laughs> I, I appreciated the commitment. I was like, my God, someone actually wants to contact us. It's like, shit, I guess... You know, it's like, shit, I guess we should make an email address. Uh... Oh, man, no, I, I was just, uh, you know, we, we covered the new Ancient Gates EP, as I, I think, last or episode. Ancient Gate, you're confusing with Ancient Spheres, it's hard. Oh, Ancient Gate. Ancient yeah. Gate, <laughs> singular, there's a singular gate, and there are multiple spheres. You know, you can't prove a negative, you can't prove that there aren't other gates. Thank you. <laughs> no, it was it was funny because you know we covered the new Ancient Gate uh, like last week, and then in prep for that, I listened way back to our third episode where we covered the original. And looking back now, it's just like Jesus. Why did Nick ever contact us? We were so bad at this back then. <laughs> I mean, imagine every other like metal fucking podcast that, that you know. Um, it's like, oh yeah, have you heard? Insert, uh, I don't know, fucking six feet undercover band. Yeah, pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> like, where's the content? The, the, vocals, the vocals bring a sense of anguish and torment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. So, yeah, so uh, today format's going to be a little bit different. Um, in celebration, we're just going to talk about two records today. Uh, Nick's going to be here to review them with us. And uh, then after that, we're just going to have a little uh, a little chill stream, you know? Uh, F's in the chat, boys. We're just going to hang out, talk about music, and reminisce over the past year as my cat jumps into a plastic bag. Um, so uh, real quick, before we get into our rundown, uh, average social media housekeeping, it's been a year. If you've been listening this long, you absolutely should be following us on various social media platforms. Be that me, the Death Metal Guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Additionally, 
I mean, you've gotten a year of free content, guys. It's about time you open your wallets and provide us with the 16 digits on the front of your credit card. And you can do that in a couple places. You can do it at Patreon if you're a normal person, or you can do it on Subscribestar if you're a, a bizarre hermit uh, developing a, a sort of like a crypto Gnostic compound somewhere in the foothills of Wyoming. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes where we revisit a lot of older stuff and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle where Sword Boy Summer is not just for one season. That was solid. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so real quick, let's 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 get the hard work out of the way reviewing some shit and then we can just hang out. So, uh, we got two records today, both of which I think we agree are excellent. Uh, the first one is going to be Maggot Crown's debut full-length Cryptic Immoral Secure on Vargheist Records. Uh, you guys might be familiar with this. This is another project of Jared Moran, uh, who we covered the uh, we covered the Evaporated Sores record. I think that was last year, right? Yeah. So yeah. Jared Moran, uh, incredibly talented multi instrumentalist uh, with probably six hundred projects, uh, bringing this one to bear in full force, and uh, it's a, it's definitely a ripper and contender for one of the most savage things we've covered on the show this year. Yeah, and so I mean, I think we've got a consummately terminus lineup today, as in uh, we do. It's, it's just stuff we like that both of us likes, like. Um, so uh, up next, we've got uh, a set with calamite, calamite, calam. How do you how do you pronounce this in French, Nick? Uh, calamite et calamité. Ooh, killing it! All right, I got, a, got a little chub here in that. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, and that's out on Antic, um, which is uh, the label that brought you the, you know, uh, Vehemence and Entrenose, and uh, if you're a real weirdo, Grill, uh, G-R-Y-L-L-E. Um, and uh, this is, um, you know, a lot, there's their sound often centers on this kind of medievalist aesthetic, uh, the ruralist French BM vibe, but this is, and this is kind of in that vein, but it's a lot it's a lot more punky than you might expect, uh, and a lot very beefy in unexpected ways. Uh, first on the docket today, we have Maggot Crown's Cryptic and Moral Secure on Vargeist Records. As I said, this is a project of uh, Jared Moran, a uh, longtime stalwart down in Mississippi. Uh, and this time he has uh, brought a, a vocalist on uh, that is going to be uh, Justin Volus. Uh, from South Carolina, who has several projects of his own and uh, also runs Vargas Records, um, and this, uh, you know, this I just checked it on a lark. I, I saw that Jared was involved in this, so I knew it would be good, but I wasn't really expecting to be kind of as blown away as I was. Uh, this is very chaotic. Um, very raw sort of death grind, but I, I kind of described it in our notes as like, it's sort of war death metal. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. what, what, yeah, what if war metal, instead of just being considered a style of black metal now, could be brought from death metal? And I can't think of a better way to describe this because the energy you get off this is very similar to listening to, say, a revenge record, but it's pure death metal. 
all the way through. And it's especially connected to some pretty forgotten parts of, like, late 90s, early 2000s death metal, which we'll get into, but obviously I have to defer to our guest. Nick, what was uh, what was your impression of this one? Yeah, um, you know, I was really surprised at um, the kind of whole forgotten branch of death metal, you know, the, um, the more jerky New York death metal kind of stuff, you know, that... <laughs> You know, a lot of people think that that stuff was just like low chugs and you know deep growls, but there was a lot of jankiness and Im- immolation and all. So you know, I've always considered Cryptopsy to be part of that scene, Gorguts mm-hmm. to a lesser extent. I think that yeah, and they they managed to like like I said to make something chaotic, but it, it's a lot more structured than uh, than you know you did initially think because you know it's, I get got the impression you know it's kind of easy to tell which song was which. And it made a lot of sense overall, despite the chaotic nature of it. Yeah, it's definitely got that. Um, <clears throat> it, there's a, a thread of like, and I think it's a thread we're going to find on both the albums. We covered a, a, a thread of like metallic hardcore, um, you know, especially in its like early kind of more tech focused days. And, you know, one of the things that you touched on, uh, you know, right there was Cryptopsy. And I think for this record, the overwhelming influence are the the mid-period Mike DeSalvo cryptopsy records like Whisper Supremacy and uh, and Then You'll Beg, which are great albums that have been almost forgotten. You know, I, I remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people used to talk about those all the time, but now they're just sort of forgotten footnotes of a, a style of death metal that really nobody is doing except for cryptopsy anymore um uh black metal guy i'm guessing you haven't heard those at all right god no so those are wait so that's the cryptopsy is that before non so vile that's after so whisper okay, supremacy okay. Sorry, yeah yeah so non so vile was number two and then whisper supremacy and then then you'll beg were three and four that's after they lost lord worm they got mike DeSalvo, and they started doing much spazier much more chaotic i mean not so well, it's pretty fucking chaotic, but <laughs> but then, you know, they added a lot of sort of New York death metal and New York hardcore into the sound, and mm-hmm. it was a very polarizing thing, the way people responded to it. And you'd you know, say a lot of people, this, this sounds more like that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, like, with that in mind, you know, just as a as a refresher course to anyone who hasn't listened to these records in years, I just listened to Whisper, Whisper Supremacy, like, a few weeks back, and it's still, it's a fucking great record. Um... So we'll, we'll just listen to a track off Whisper Supremacy, you know, the first couple minutes. Uh, and this is a song called White Worms. And this, I think when you hear this, you'll hear, okay, this is what Maggot Crown is kind of derived from. So uh, let's right. check that one out.
All right, so what do you guys think of that? I liked those riffs at the end a lot. Um, th- those were reminded me of the sort of non so vile skronk riffs. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, I-, I definitely hear the connection for sure. Uh, I would just say the main one of the main differences is just that this is uh, like the, the, those bla- those sort of like uh, flowing flowing dissonant blast riffs at the beginning that are very meaty. You can mm-hmm. hear that being kind of a substance for Maggot Crown, but like the tone is just way. Here, here, it's those riffs are more focused on chug and sort of beefy chug, whereas Maggot Crown's more noisy. But um, yeah, I I, I hear it. I, I like it. Uh, the Maggot Crown also this sounds more sort of spazzy than the Maggot Crown does, right? Yeah, I I would say so. Like Maggot Crown has a lot more kind of traditional, but just way sped up kind of uh, New York like death metal tremolo riffs. Mm-hmm. Um. But but I would say like structurally, especially with the way the rhythm section kind of plays off and it kind of manipulates the riffs through these sudden beat switches, is something that you hear a lot on this Maggot Crown. And uh, so Nick, are you uh, are you like a Cryptopsy guy? I don't think we've ever really talked about them. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I fucking love a Cryptopsy. You know, I've got this weird um, obsession with New York death metal and New York death metal related bands. I always felt you know. Cryptopsy was in many ways the logical continuation of uh, suffocation that wasn't mm-hmm. uh, simple-minded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, you had the guys who took uh, who took suffocation and just made beat down with it, and then you had the guys who took the weirdest parts of suffocation and kept expanding on it while still having just like retarded pit riffs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, and you can really hear that that New York death metal. Um, Sound within the, that riff, you know, it's kind of like it's not as chuggy as suffocation, but it's got that very circular um, aspect to it. You know, they're always going back to the same notes despite the complete uh, insanity. You know, you've got like a really steady anchor, and so it doesn't sound like a bunch of you know random notes played at super speed, you know, to kind of gel things together. You know, there is some kind of weird logic to it. There's a, a very defined tonal center. Like, they, they, they choose a uh, a note that everything fluctuates off of, or a certain phrase, and they always bring it back to the center. Whereas Maga Crown, though, Maga Crown is a little bit more through-written. There's, like, very little uh, revisiting of riffs or anything like that. I think it gets more coherence just from, like, the riffs. Uh, there being more of... There are really only a couple types of riffs on it, right? There's, like, mm-hmm. the... Uh, the, the, the various various kinds of angry trem riffs and then breakdowns and like they uh, they have a they do a pretty good job of like changing kinds of trem riffs without breaking momentum. Yeah, yeah, There's they no do. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Now they, they also just real uh, quick comment about that cryptopsy. I gotta say, uh, those vocals are not great. I can see why it is overrated, or why it's underrated, I, rather. Uh, I actually like the book. I mean, I think that I, my view has always been with Mike DeSalvo that mm-hmm. I don't think that, like, I I don't I don't think you that know what whispers. It is? They got they got Barney Greenway. 
<laughs> it's, uh, I, I basically, I, I, it's not really a problem for me because okay, I like the, I appreciate tough guy hardcore vocals, and if I didn't know if it was Cryptopsy, I'd just be like, okay, that's how this band sounds. But I get, I, I can imagine fans in the '90s being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I guess my view is that like I don't think that Lord Worm style would work for those records for Whispered Supremacy and and then you'll beg that kind of like slurring kind of craze thing. I think they kind of needed someone with more of a rhythmic impact for the style of music they started doing, and I think Mike DeSalvo fit pretty well into that. All right, fair enough. Um, but let's uh, let's start listening to this album instead of... I mean, I can talk about Cryptozzy for 12 hours, that's fine, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's listen to some actual Magna Crown. Uh, so, first sample. Uh, this is one that's directly linked to Cryptozzy in a pretty distinct way. Uh, this is just starting at the top of Murderous Continuations. Uh, something I want to pay a lot of attention to is... Uh, the way the 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 rhythm section on this manages to contort the riff over it, you know, sort of like a, you have difficulty finding the one of the riff because of these very abrupt beat switches, which really emphasize this whole atmosphere of sort of like world collapse and chaos, and it just sounds fucking sick the whole time. So All right, cool. let's just go to the top of that one and give it a listen. So you'll notice in that uh, sample, like, the second riff, that really fluid but kind of scrocky trem riff, gets, uh, it gets, like, three different beats under it, all of which kind of accent different rhythmic ideas within the riff, which I think is yeah, yeah, yeah. really fucking cool and really 
challenging to write. I mean, but then they start decelerating it towards the end. Oh yeah, and then you just have that. By they, I guess I mean he, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, actually, Jared's mostly Jared's mostly known as a drummer, but in this case, he did all the instruments on this. So, um, yeah, and then obviously you've got that enormous sort of crawling. That's almost like a. That's almost more like a coffin's riff or an anatomia riff there at the end. Just that giant, just crawling breakdown form. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just it's it's just so much fun to listen to. <laughs> yeah, and it feels harmonized. You know, it definitely is harmonized. See, I, I get the impression he's recording with two guitars, and they're both kind of separated. And I think the, when he plays that kind of you know, the the slow chugging riff, you know, the da 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 down. That one is it de- the um, not the chugs, but the kind of you know tail melody is harmonized, which gives it a really cool, uh, unnerving uh, effect. I feel. Yeah, no, I th- I think he's doing like slightly different chord shapes on those those big arcing notes at the end there. It's uh, it, there's a lot of subtlety to dig out of this record. Like when you first well, listen to it, yeah. That's one of the characteristics of Cryptopsy is that there's got this um. I was when when Death Metal Guy played that for me on the bon- patrons only bonus episode, <laughs> None So Vile and uh, Into the Grave. Uh, I was surprised by how, I guess, um, lush isn't exactly the word, but maybe like a, uh, you know, a ripe smelling corpse. There was a lot of uh, <laughs> there, there was a lot of. Um, melody and texture stuff going on that people these days normally associate with black metal and or at least with the more black metal side of death metal um and here i mean it's not so you don't get like the big gothic cryptopsy melodies but like the deeper sense of texture and that like lots of cool bends and the way harmony is being used to make things sound even scronkier I think relates to that kind of richness that you get in cryptopsy. Yeah, I think so, and I think a lot of that probably traces all the way back to something like Morbid Angel. You know, the yeah, way as well, a for, sure, for sure. I yeah, was also yeah. thinking Morbid Angel here with a lot of the samples. I think so too. Um, I, I think they're all part of like a same thread of music. Like I think Morbid Angel and Cryptopsy have a lot in common, especially just in terms of guitar performance, the way Azicto kind of manipulates notes. Uh, you know, there there's no such thing as a straight Morbid Angel riff. There's always some bizarre kind of bend or like a weird inappropriate slide that gives it a ton <laughs> of personal character. Well, you know they say Morbid Angel's a spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, so further down the spectrum, uh, we're going to Spectre of Nihilism. Um, and uh, this is like, uh, because uh, the death metal guy has educated me on cryptopsy, I definitely hear, heard the comparison on the big trem riff. Um, but uh, the part that really interests me about this sample is, uh, comes towards the end when it gets slower.
that's just horrible at the end there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that reminds me, an, an old friend of mine uh, who follows the show, he's like one of those metal guys who always like, he has this, he's, he's really committed to the old school metalhead thing of hating hardcore. And, uh, <laughs> and I really, I love that about him. Uh, and and he, he always described, um, you know, like proper, proper pit moves as a uh, monkey dancing. Um, and, and towards, towards the end of that, I'm just like, monkey dance, dunk, 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 you know, it's, uh, you, you, you've got a lurch to that, walk on your knuckles, um, it's just, so it's a great breakdown, um, is that, that, how would you define that, is that a slam? Um, n- not quite, what I think he's accessing there is, um, more like old school Texas death metal. Um, so uh, that's something we haven't talked a lot about on the show. But Texas, like the whole TXDM thing, is actually a pretty well established style, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is very similar to uh, to New York death metal in, in a lot of ways. But I would say the the hardcore influence is a little more oblique when it comes to the, the Texas stuff. Like obviously, you would have to reference something like the first devourment record. Um, mm-hmm. That would be a huge influence. And a lot of just forgotten bands like, uh, like ton or prophecy, a lot of this stuff that was kind of flirting around the edges of like proto slam stuff. But mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of cool gems to dig out of that scene. And it's just now Texas is known for having, you know, this like really raw extreme kind of black death stuff. But there's a, a big community of old school Texas death metal out there that's uh, that's always been really interesting, and I think that's where some of these ideas are coming from. So you would say that kind of like lurching off kilter chug thing is like what the Texas people would do with an NYDM breakdown, where the NYDM breakdown would sound more hardcore. Yeah, the NYDM breakdown would be more straightforward. The no. the Texas I, guys like to set it off a little differently. I, you know, there are a lot of breakdowns in hardcore like that now, but I think it comes from the re-uptake of, like, slam through beatdown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, now hardcore, hardcore knows about slam and knows about these... It's recombining all these rhythmic ideas that were originally taken from hardcore into death metal, and now they're filtering back. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, how 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 you feel about the uh, the, the the pit riffs, Nick? Man, I don't know what the hell happened at the end, but those fucking uh, artificial harmonics the squeaks really got to me, you know. And he, <laughs> and he kept the one, you know, on the on the left channel. He kept it going through that kind of um, you know, effigy of the forgotten transition, you know, where it goes straight from like, here's the chug part. We go straight to the tremolo riff mm-hmm. without any warning, and it still continued on the left channel. I was distracted. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like how the song just kind of falls apart at the end. Yeah, well, that that was a big thing with ulcerated sores, right? Or evaporated sores. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. The, the 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 music just kind of collapses in on itself. It's like when you go to the local hardcore it's, show, it's, and yeah. they decide to play the song that they have mostly done. Like at the end of their set, and then everyone just kind of fades out and stops playing. It's like, yeah, that's like that's how far we got in the song, <laughs> <laughs> but in a cool way. <laughs> no, that's when you get to that part is when you just start throwing things. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's when know, the show the, ends the, in a the minor The drummer riot. just the drummer just starts like doing a choke on every beat. The bassist makes some feedback, and then you just pick up chairs. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that was one of the funnier shows I've been at. Involved people throwing a chair. Um, it was it, it, it was lit. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, but um. But yeah, so that that part cool. Definitely, I love those pinch harmonics. I mean, you you know me, and I love the melodic use of them to make riffs. Um, yeah, and also the sliding into and out of the blasts is pretty cool. You know, there was some pretty cool, just not very showy, but like subtle kind of bendy guitar work. Like, oh, oh, and, and uh, the trem riff that came in between the breakdowns, I liked better than the main trem riff. It was mm -hmm. simpler. But there was a bit of a round effect going on, which I think is another mm -hmm. thing. I guess he uses all these different strategies to create differentiation between the different channels on the guitars. And mm -hmm. one of them, it seems to be like uh, they're playing similar kind of patterns, but the second guitar is just starting later. And so they like loop on each other in this pretty cool, you know, that's one of those... Uh, you know, the rondo or round or whatever is one of those very classic uh, music things that metal often forgets about. And uh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I think um, th this whole record, like Jared's style in the way he's writing these songs, it it's it's weird because it's very liquid. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. like there's not a lot of... He's not into big preparatory moments. A, a blast beat just kind of like starts. It just like lurches into existence, mm -hmm. you know? It's not based around these big sort of hardcore moments in that like there would be preparation, there would be yeah, something yeah, yeah. pointing to you, oh, something exciting is happening. No, it's just like things just fall apart and they just explode into life. And it's uh, it's it's super exciting music because it doesn't give you those markers that other bands would do. All right. So we yeah, got, uh... I think he avoids um, deliberately, you know, the kind of, the, the the really popular gimmick that came back, you know, that Metallica unfortunately left uh, metal. You know, we have like one rhythm guitar that goes by itself, the drummer, you know, going dun, 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 and the, you know, the other guitar just following with the chords and then the riff starts, that kind of really mm -hmm. cheesy thrash metal. Like, which is something I really appreciate about this, like, fuck transitions, you don't need them. Just, just if you have a riff, just play it, which is really cool. <laughs> I got a bunch of riffs, let's just stick them together and see what happens. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna play drums as fast and as well as I can over it. It's one take, we're just going. You know? <laughs> it's so sick. Alright, what do you got next, man? Yeah, some good fast riffs. Ch change it up. Uh, so this is on Language Corrupted. Uh, it's a short song, that's part of the grindy quality on this record. Um, it's, uh, you know... Um, less than three minutes so we're just gonna listen to the whole thing uh and i would say um pay attention to the good detail work and the trim we've got some nice swarming riffs and some nice buildings falling down riffs see if you can tell them apart <laughs> all right let's go
<laughs> See, we can tell Nick's getting into it. He's uh, he's humming all the riffs like we do. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm surprised at how kind of like you know, despite I think there is a hardcore influence, but like a lot, of, a lot of the stuff you know I've heard before in death metal, you know, it reminds me of sometimes some like the the old um, pestilence, Dem- demolition hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, Sadus, you know, it has that kind of like thrash death where we kind of cher- take everything we want from hardcore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of cherry picking the elements that you like most. We're, we're definitely Demolition Hammer fans here. Uh. Yeah, Demolition Hammer, say pretty much all the. I never got that into Pestilence, but maybe I need to revisit it. I like Morbid Saint. Yeah, Saints. Yeah. Yeah, Morbid Saint, Slaughter, all, all the well, extreme thrash stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so cool things there. I think, yeah, Nick is right. Also, for our listeners who don't know Hessian Fern, basically, I mean, we talk about them constantly, but basically it's just like, you know, highbrow, dark metal, death, black, but Nick knows a lot about death metal, and he's more interested in a, he's interested in a slightly different niche from the death metal guy so when he talks about the death metal stuff he brings some expertise to the table um but uh like yeah so i think we i think nick is right that you know there there are ways that this is uh surprisingly like quote unquote normal death metal especially Mm -hmm. in terms of just like riff memorability so uh, where it really picked up on that sample was where he introduces, the, you start to go into like a, da, 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 you start to get into a sort of staggered triplet thing and you get that riff that's like, um, and uh, that's, that's the, um, that's the swarming riff. You start to get the sort of, uh, this this weird kind of well, it's not really a swarming riff, uh, but um, there were there's some before where you just get these swarms of tram, but um, that's like one of those non so vile riffs which we talked we, we talked about where the riff is kind of like a it's not really a thrash metal based riff or a black metal like melody. It's just this kind of uh, tonal smear. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just this very very distinctive clearly defined and memorable just sort of set of tones that and so here you just get these oscillating tritones and it's very memorable and cool and then we get the buildings falling down riff after that where it just sort of sounds like you just this strange as you it's like you know yeah the the, the song moving by collapse the blast just light up and the guitars sort of move upwards but sound like they're going backwards and you know really cool yeah no i think i think that's like a a forgotten thing at this point is the idea that you know at various points in time there were uh ideas of distinct death metal tremolo riffs Mm -hmm. that have almost been kind of forgotten due to you know black metal hegemony as you like to say it's like now now you hear kind of a a melodic tremolo riff it just is a black metal riff by default, even though there's this huge legacy of these kind of well, interesting... Well, or it's like an incantate, or it's like a shitty incantation riff. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Incantation, incantation riffs are the only death metal tremolo riffs that survived <laughs> black metal. <laughs> yeah, and that is very death metal sounding. It's, it's disgustingly dissonant in the way death metal is, and it relies on this kind of like... Uh, 
cubist geometry that you're much more likely to get in death metal, right? Just like, here are three notes oscillating, plus the weird mm. chug run on the end. Yeah, you could only play that as a death metal riff, um, but it's uh, it has the sort of elemental simplicity of a good black metal trim riff. Or, Definitely. Or, you know, uh, yeah, re- really sick. Um Definitely this band the whole time. I think if we want to put this in sort of terminus genres, this definitely is in whatever kind of family we're getting with, like, you know, music-adjacent noise black death, like, uh, but not the stuff that people usually think of with that. Like, we're not really talking about the war noise metal. Like, you know, like, but this is definitely no, like, it's like Concrete Winds. It's like Tiradero Ca- de Cadaveris. Uh, Kalakuma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kalakuma. Oh, yeah, a lot of the squalling stuff sounds kind of like Kalakuma for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's surprisingly varied despite how... It, it's, it's varied in the way that a brutal death record is varied. It requires a lot of concentration to be able to pick out how many different intricate ways they can manipulate these same ideas. And, uh, yeah. Actually, for the last sample, there's a good example of that. Um, so this is off Cover Thine Eyes, and this is coming pretty pretty close to the beginning of the song, and you're going to hear a really kind of chaotic cryptopsy-type stuff up front, then one of those weird sort of like dragging breakdown forms, but mm-hmm. then when it explodes back into the blast, wait for the part where there's like four hyper-developed tremolo riffs in like 30 seconds. counted just to be sure yeah that's that's four fucking new fresh riffs you know just end to end in like 30 seconds after that first breakdown part just just keep cycling through he only plays each one twice and he just keeps cycling through them and it's it's fucking crazy the amount of tension that that builds because like any of those riffs could be you know a main riff for a song 
But he's like, no, no, I'm just going to rip out four of these. They're all kind of tonally centered around the same spot, but... No, we're just going to lay them end to end, and then we're going to go into another breakdown, and then somehow that breakdown doesn't release any tension. It still feels, like, horrible and tense. <laughs> yeah, um, it is, uh... Yeah, I mean, oh, so there, what I heard there under those changing riffs is another good example of that emphasis changing drumming. Um, yeah, yeah. Falling in, in really interesting places, uh... But also, and also, well, doing that across the breakdowns, the, yeah. the way the drums, the drums will like work to have a continuous, continuous series of chug, and then the drums work to cut across that at various points with snare heads and stuff. Um, yeah, in the uh, in the first breakdown, there's a, a very strange like beat inversion trick yeah. that occurs. You know, it's just like you know, swapping off, swapping the snare from the one and three over to the two and four through mm. this kind of extended like guitar fill thing. It's a, it's very weird. It's got this it, very disorienting effect. It's like you're using the guitar sound. The chug is the rum is the the material, and then the drums are sort of shaping it. Their drums are like cutting it, clipping it at certain places, re re pivoting it in different ways. Like the drums mm -hmm. are controlling the riff there in a cool way. Yeah, I think that comes from Jared being a, a drummer, mm -hmm. primarily. You know, this is a drummer band, and we've talked about that before. You know, drummer-led one-man projects tend to have really interesting kind of structural ideas that aren't yeah, all and, wrapped up in the idea of the riff. And also tons of riffs. Like, to, like and in this case, that's, sometimes it's a bad thing. Like, I, I find that's a barrier to me, really liking Sunop, for, for instance. Mm -hmm. But, like... This is that's the band that inspired the drummer band concept. It was just like the riffs are so good. Why don't I like it? It's like oh my god, there are too many. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but th with this band, the kind of like bewilderment of riffs is clearly a strength. Yeah. Nick, what have you got? You just j just jump in. Just tell us when. Yeah, our takes and jump are in anytime. Yeah, you can interrupt us, dude. We interrupt each other all the time because sometimes the other guy's being boring. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, just, I, I think you know, throughout every sample we've listened to, you know, this is definitely the whole thing is drummer led. And I, I was thinking, you know, during the when he was playing those four riffs, so like two times each, so mm -hmm. it was like six, 16 bars overall, something like that. He was still very steady with the drums. And I think, you know, either unlike a lot of um, the 90s death metal this comes from, this is very drummer oriented because you know that. Jared actually has the technical skill to kind of know what he's doing on the drums and to actually count. So mm -hmm. he's able to kind of like hold, you know, there's madness, but there's still a steady backbone to it. Mm -hmm. In the same way, like, um, you know, Hate Forest will do that with like, uh, you know, on the last one, on the Hour of the Central, they'll have that kind of droning bass that holds everything together while it goes through like a million different um, things. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, so you get like, the drums are playing the role of droning bass tone. And that's kind of what I meant about, like, also about the thing, like, there's lots of rhythmic play in here, and there's lots of shit happening, but it's never spazzy in the way that, like, would turn me off from a lot of the 90s bands. Or, you know, like, yeah, does that make sense? I, I think I used the word spazzy earlier to apply to that cryptopsy, and that was obviously good. But a lot of the 90s bands, when you're changing riffs constantly, there's this choppy quality to it. And somehow, 
he manages to blend. Maybe you're saying the drumming helps blend riff to riff as he changes. Oh yeah, I definitely think he's a very capable drummer, and he, and you can tell he does a lot of stuff one take. So when he, when he switches from beat to beat, you know it's not like quantized perfectly, mm -hmm. and it sounds smoother because of it. You don't tend to feel his transitions, I think, which is a sign of uh, you know him doing what he has to do really well. Well, there's also there's a lot of moments on the record where there's these abrupt decelerations or accelerations. Yes, yes. But they they feel written in they feel purposeful like there's uh, there's lots of just bizarre parts where you'll, you'll you'll feel the tempo slide up or down and, and he'll do it over like one or two bars like you know there's there's an arc to it which means that this isn't random this isn't like an accident and everything is perfectly in time with that acceleration or deceleration so it's it, i i, I want to see like the uh I want to see, like, the tempo map on the click tracks for this. And, like, how he plotted that, if there was anything like that. Because I think this is a case where this sounds really raw and, like, barely hanging together, like, almost improvisational, but I bet it's actually super carefully plotted all the way through. What if he, what if he just wrote all the guitars and then followed it with the drums? Yeah, Judas Iscariot style. Just here here's the guitar track, and now I just just gonna hit the gas. Hey all this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, and we are back from an all too short break with Assets Calamit Calamit et, et, et la Calamite. Uh, Nick, why don't you say it though? Because you told me how to pronounce it. Calamite et God. Okay, pretty close. Yeah, so close. good. See, he says it's sexier though, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was he was ready to go. Um so um So yeah, that's out now on um Antic, right? Which is the label that brought us uh, the last Entrenos record as well as Vehemence and um uh, a bunch of other stuff in this sort of uh, medievalist slash ruralist uh, French black metal vein. Um, and we are now, uh, yeah, and this is something that's a little less medieval, a little more, feels a little more like, uh, you know, um, folk from the backwaters of modernity kind of vibe. Um, and uh, it's a little bit more of a kind of, well, there's something punky about the Hunter Nose too, but this is uh, conspicuously punk influenced. Um, and since we're dealing with a, a guy from uh, who's currently based in France, uh, what, what did you make of it, Nick? Um, you know, it, re it reminded me like they have a lot of influences. You know, there's a lot of French black metal, some of the German stuff like uh, Rosterchester uh, or whatever, Rosterkost or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're pronounced. A lot of that folky stuff, but then there's also like a lot of the um, you hear a lot of that kind of '80s uh, French punk stuff. That was that kind of, that was derived from the British stuff. '83, uh, kind '84, of you know, Ramoneur des Menhirs, which were very popular bands back here in the early to mid '80s. And then some of the more you know commercial stuff. There's like you know Trust. You know, Anthrax have that fucking terrible cover of uh, Antisocial by them. Hmm. <laughs> and then, 
also I think like all French bands, they, they, there's that kind of death spell Omega Chaos that comes in at times. Yeah, this is, yeah, it seems like, I feel like often the, um, the more medievalist or, and or full, like, you know, we, I think we divide French BM into like four sectors. You have sort of vampires, you have orthodox black metal, you have sort of medievalist stuff, and then you have the sort of KPN influenced kind of, uh, punk ruralism kind of thing. And this is this definitely positions itself in that genre, but I think more than anything I've heard, it really crosses over with the orthodox stuff. Like, uh, you, you know, there's um, I think something I thought. So I don't know those French '80s bands, and maybe I should check them out. That's interesting. But something that really struck me about this record is that, you know, yeah, the influence you get in something like past the punk that you get in French black metal often is if you go to like, or like the the punky stuff that the stuff that sounds conspicuously like that right you might think of like vlad tapas where it's this kind of like oi and this kind of very general idea of hardcore or like with pest noir right there's this kind of again oi vibe and just this generally punkish quality of the music being kind of chaotic and uh chaotic and wild but like and sort of obsessed with abjection and stuff right but like here, the punk influence, so much of it is coming from uh, hardcore, like 90s and early 2000s metallic hardcore. And that is the sort of secret weapon of all the orthodox bands, including DSO. Um, the, the band that really made that explicit was Kickback, who were that sort of ASOF-connected uh, hardcore band. But, um, but the sort of uh, massive guitar tone and the dissonant clanging chords and a lot of those bands, or the way they sort of like uh, really anchor it in a heavy low end, like like ASF, that's all all sort of hardcore influenced. And so here, that seems that sort of deliberately kind of inorganic, big, highly produced, um, monumental sound is kind of spilling in to this sort of deliberately ragged uh, ruralist peasant revolt sound. Death metal guy, what do you think? Uh, I love this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we, we've we been covering, like, a fair amount of this sort of, like, rural peasant French black metal stuff. It's like we covered the Hanternos the other week, which uh, I liked a lot. And then uh, we, co we covered, like, the Autarchy, which I wasn't as big on. And then going back to last year, I brought on Salifru, which is mm -hmm. obviously a different kind of spin because that's also rooted in depressive black metal, but mm -hmm. clearly part of the same general vibe. But I think just as far as this newer stuff that seems to be picking up a lot of steam lately. Uh, this is easily my favorite record of kind of the stuff that you've brought on in this style. Um, cool. This is just like wonderfully weird music. And I, I think these guys have found the way to take the, the weird kind of jangly wandering quality of this music and create a more coherent package out of it. I think that just based on our notes, you and I hear this a little bit differently, just because for me, you said that some of this just like diverts a little too wildly for you. For me, it feels a lot more contiguous. And well, what are, we just... are we comparing it to like uh, the really chaotic Pest Noir stuff? I mean, because I... in that case, I would agree with you that this is a lot more coherent than that. You know, I think we both agree that that band goes uh, goes too far. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess I would compare it even to, I mean, stuff that's not necessarily from the same scene, but stuff that, the you know, that's being listened to by the same people, like, uh, you know, Ungfell or something like that. I feel like this is... Th- oh, I this certainly is, like this better than Ungfell. Yeah, this is this is like weird and wandering, but there's a a distinct thread to follow, you know, throughout everything. But it's also, I believe you have to listen to this record as a full length. Like you can't sampling this is very hard. There aren't I, I really yeah yeah sampling it is very hard. It is not particularly. There are great melodies that come and go, but it's not particularly riff driven. And even to hear the melodies you kind of have to hear what was happening before. Yes. It's, um, it's definitely not riff driven. Um, it's long sort of flowing melodic ideas. They have a tendency to start and stop in weird places, but it's just got this kind of like drunk shambolic grandeur to it. That it's certainly it's got so a cool. lot of, it's certainly very grand. Yeah. Um, I'll do. So yeah, I, I don't think what I was saying about the structure is like a massive, um, is like a s- massive strike against it or anything. It's more like a sort of uh, a-, a question about how the songwriting is working in some places. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's start with um, yeah, yeah, and also like the general idea of their doing that and breaking, adding these folky sections or interrupting things. I get it. That all makes sense. Um, as far as like riffs. I feel like the only really riff-oriented track, the only sort of, like, um, black metal ripper is the first track, but that one really impressed me. Um, and we will listen to this and then try to talk about how it's arranged. But uh, this this comes in pretty hard. All right. This is, uh, this is uh, Le, Co- Le Cause Saint-Gosson. Uh, that's something like that. Um, Nick, help us. <laughs> <laughs> L'Ecos Songos.
All right, so what uh, what struck you about that one? Because there, I mean, there's a lot of shit to talk about. I, I, I like the fast part. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's um, that's a really cool riff. Um, it's like leaning heavily on leads to create this kind of really gnarly dissonance, just by like bending, basically. Uh, and uh, it's a really unique kind of riff, though. Dum, dum. Uh, we're talking about the one that sort of like oscillates. Dum, yeah, like the opening dum, riff, basically. Dum, yeah. Dum, 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 dum. yeah, exactly. And it, it's interesting because it's like, uh, it's, I mean, you could basically write a version of it that's like a later Misfits riff, like a Wolf's Blood or Earth AD type thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you, you know, if you did it with power chords, it was simpler. But it, it walks through a chord progression, right? It sort of like turns around, you know, use that as the base idea. And that base idea sort of climbs through some chords in this really graceful, melodic way. Um, And at the same time, they've got, uh, there's like a second guitar interlaced. And there's like a more sort of folky strum coming in over it to color it. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like three different there's only like three riffings you could like take that you know and also like the you know the emphasis on like the the trem right the raw tre- the single string trem rather than like power chords or whatever makes it sound kind of speed metally because it's mm-hmm. moving around the root note like that so you got this speed metally quality and the folk black quality and um this extreme dissonance all all blended and those are all things that you might separate off in like this is a different style of riff that's a different style of riff here they're all being blended together in a really cool and effective way. And the point is not that, like, oh, this is some sort of hybrid riff, right? We've used, I think, you know, uh, I think you've used the word on this show, and we've used it to refer to riffs that sort of change style in the middle. Mm-hmm. This doesn't do that. They're all, it's just, like, admirably free. It's not concerned about which, what is supposed to go where. Um it's not um they're they're trying they're more interested in creating an interesting riff than creating a certain kind of riff um and uh you know i just that particular kind of like driving driving punk beat thing is eh, it's it's, it's kind of rare that particular version of it is kind of rare anywhere today and it's very rare in like continental black metal um but it reminds me of a German band, Pest, who uh, might have something to do with this. And the other thing is just that, like, the clanging guitar sounds there, like, right? The sort of, the, the blend between the sort of clanging, at times extremely dissonant guitar, like on the breakdowns, right? They just start to go for total dissonance, right? That's mm-hmm. that sort of metallic hardcore style dissonance. And you, so you could certainly hear the rhythms there on the breakdown of metallic hardcore. But, um,. You know, it's it's also taps into that DSO tradition and just the general idea of having very fast, fast kind of s- extremely harsh, folky sounding stuff always reminds me of Soren, who I, I you know the Swedish band who I love as you know and who uh, who were on Noevdia, um, mm-hmm. so like who've been sort of repped. I think we're sort of uptaken by part of the French scene. I can see that. Um, the thing that I really like about the sample that I want to bring up is, uh, you know, before the, uh, the sort of wailing woman sample comes mm-hmm. in, uh, which I, I do like all of those too. Um, mm-hmm. 
is uh, when they bring in that sort of lead phrase, and this is something that continues across the whole record, and one of the reasons it feels so kind of organic and wandering is they almost write some of these lead phrases in the way that some of the cooler, like, brutal death bands we've been talking about lately are doing, which is a a simple sort of, you know, five-note phrase, <clears throat> but with a different variation and a different chord voicing every single time it comes back. Um, so it feels... It, it gives the effect of, like, a very long, say, like, well, you know, since we got Nick on the show, like a Hessian firm type melody, one of those really long, expansive things. But instead of being a pure through written thing, it's just it's variations on a single idea. It's exploring all the corners melodically of a single melodic phrase. And that has an effect of, I think, bridging some of the disparate ideas on this record really well. But uh, Nick, what do you think of that kind of thing? Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, it rem- in many t- parts, it rem- you know, when the fast riff kind of slows down and it's hit this kind of wall of reverb, reverb and a lot of um, arpeggios, you know, it reminds me of certain bands like uh, Besma Ash, Regarde les hommes tom- tombés, and um, there's a lot of those more modern um, black metal bands, you know, that came from France, you know, where they just have a mm-hmm. lot of layers of arpeggios on top of each other, which is really cool because I felt like they couldn't continue that fast riff forever. So you know you had they had to kind of like lead the momentum to somewhere before you know before going to those arpeggios and then going to that more traditional part where the guitars completely fade out. Bismahash is uh, also very relevant here in terms of bringing in the hardcore influence. That that's like another one of these bands that is although they're in this kind of more folky black metal configuration like in terms of just the overall aesthetic and the culture. They're uh, the music is a real undertone of like. Uh, beefy masculine hardcore definitely yeah and i uh, i laid that a, lo- at the feet a lot of, of their songs a lot of their songs are basically like here's a breakdown here's a breakdown here's a part where the song stops here's another breakdown um yeah yeah and then you've got Hrydmar just like shouting angrily over everything which is always great <laughs> i'm a big fan of like his old projects like uh, a lot of his old industrial shit like you know count osferatu commando and shit so <laughs> i love how he fuses all those ideas um, so beyond that, okay, so let me get to a sample. So, uh, this is, let me, let me see if I can attempt it, and Nick will correct me, uh, Coro du Libre. What is it? du Libre. Oh, okay. I got it right. I'm just not French enough to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so, and here's where I want to get into some of the punk ideas, because, like, the, the punk oi thing, obviously, uh, like, black metal guy, you and Nick, know that better than I do, especially, like, European punk stuff. That's just not anything I grew up with. Um, so, you know, I guess the promotional material describes this as really oi-influenced, but kind of what you were saying, pretty much everything I hear is, like, old metallic hardcore, just filtered in a very strange way. I mean, there's probably oi bands that sound more like this that I'm just not familiar with. But, uh, yeah, so at the end of the sample... There's a huge breakdown that comes completely out of nowhere, and it should be jarring, but it actually works really effectively with just the flow of the whole album. And then, uh, you know, up at the front of the sample, we've got some very good, like, kind of jangly, probably past noir-influenced riffing, but I'm curious as to what you guys make of the kind of riff styles that I've isolated on this record, because you guys can probably tell me where it comes from better than I do. So, uh, yeah, let's give that one a try. 
right, so here's here's a section where I'll throw it to the audience. So I've gotten more conservative about this estimation over the years. Does any of this scan as kind of emo to you guys? No. You don't think so? Not at all. Uh, no. no it's, it's, um, yeah, it does. It sounds kind of very metal quarry, like not the kind of uh, you left me yesterday kind of metal core, but the, <laughs> you know, the kind of early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like metalcore, metalcore for sure, like actual hardcore metalcore. Um, the 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 guitar tones you're hearing, the jangly guitars, those are from Oi, actually, or you know that that makes sense. There's, I don't know this style well, okay, but like in Fr French, Oi has a lot more kind of, uh, and you know Nick might be able to to help here, but you, there's a lot of um, melodic color in the chords. They use like bar chords and stuff, and it's more like. Um, it's more like rock and roll than like mm -hmm. I mean something like Cox Bar is very rock and rolly but still you know kind of power chord punk right and like you know it's um it's 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 kind of more close more its own thing distinct from punk and kind of has something to do just with like French popular song and stuff um a band that um a band I know from the U.S. who were really influenced by that style is the Brass, who shared members with the House of First Live bands. Um, it's uh, th it's this kind of more like refined. Like people think of the way that Oi is tough is often related to a certain kind of deliberate refinement, mm -hmm. like not just being really loud, certain kind of like laid back quality or whatever. And the, the jangly guitars thing relates to that. Um, but I think I do think the oi is a source for that in terms mm -hmm. of the breakdown quality that's that's what I want to I want to know what bands sound like that like big complex descending guitar breakdown so I can exclusively listen to that music for the rest of my life <laughs> <laughs> I mean like like that's like a thing Spite Extreme Wing would do I, I was about that was something I was thinking of on your sample as like, well as like Oh, this is very kind of Mediterranean in places, and I really yeah. love that aspect. So it's it's you know what the, what's great about that breakdown is that actively blended the hardcore rhythm under it, which is giving it the push and pull, with just this hyper syncopated version of just a black metal riff. You tremmed that, that'd be a great just like ripping tremolo riff. Oh yeah, but you know but it, it gets so much more depth from that more complex guitar attack you know the, I agree. the whole I agree. the yeah. rhythm is what carries that yeah. yeah no it's it's awesome and it's it's a very smart way they're, they're never just gonna give you like this is the hardcore part that's the cool <laughs> thing is that throughout they're using um it's like the rhythm section is locking things in with kind of punk and hardcore tropes, and the guitars are moving in this freer, more kind of folky, black metal-y way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dude, I love that passage. God, you know, that, that you know, uh, listening to it again, that might be one of my, that might be my favorite on the record. Everything there just, everything just like they, barrels. In, the way they just, everything just barrels into the next thing even just the first slowdown before the big breakdown where they're just like without really breaking like in the middle of a like in the middle of a measure they like switch or like without yeah. without pausing they're just spilling into the more kind of stompy part well it's, it's so much of the the parts like that on this record are fascinating because like it's it's tough guy but it's like 
it's a fancy lad tough guy like you get into an argument with a minor noble on the street and he's all like skinny and pale and he shouldn't be able to fight and then suddenly he has his rapier out and it's like oh all that fencing practice actually meant something <laughs> like just fa- fancy lad tough guy black metal dude i love it <laughs> yeah it's sort of well the, you know that's very much yeah that's very much like an old school skin in a way it's that's a skin and hardcore thing too because it's like you know you you, you go out with your carefully polished boots you know your your waxed mustache right you're like starched you know you're, you're like you're you're very clean fred perry right it's a uh, that kind of polish is also like part of this particular wing of punk. Hmm. Um, but I, yeah. I, I like what you say about fancy. Yeah, fancy man, tough guy. I love that. <laughs> yeah, us, 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 gaunt, pale dudes gonna have our day too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, I mean, one thing that really surprised me is that um, you know a lot of the the French hardcore and oi bands. You know, really got into like very simplified, you know, um, harmonies. You know, like uh, a simpler, dumb version of like Iron Maiden or Thin Lizzy. And these mm-hmm. guys like did really well in just removing that because it, it, it sounded probably like not archaic and you know in terms of like medieval, but like dated in terms mm-hmm. of like sounding like Greek black metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no the, the the lushness of this music is what carries it. The array of textures and the refusal to just do the simple thing. Yeah, I, I love because you know I managed to find the actual lyrics to this song. Can't find, still struggling to find the other lyrics, but uh, you know the lyrics seem to be um, a lot of very geological um, analysis, very well written, very po- poetically done about this kind of region, you know, that had a lot of Roman influence, you know, a lot of aqueducts, a lot mm. of deep, dark valleys. Um, and it's, it's somewhat, it's a weird situation where I think it's very representative of the kind of, that style of, you know, urban, rural, B, a French BM, where, you know, there's this combination where, like, they don't reject the urbanization of it, of, the, of their lands, mm-hmm. but it's but you know there's still a certain amount of sadness you know um what what they they are you know a lot of french bm guys love to use the word you know spleen you know from um mm-hmm. baudelaire, baudelaire who yeah. took it yeah who took it from um the guy who wrote the crow i can't remember his name the, the first goth kid Edgar Sad Bo- yeah Edgar, exactly and <laughs> the first goth kid <laughs> yeah. and you've got a lot of that kind of sadness you know which also reminds me a lot of salfro who is like mm-hmm. well, who's more of an alcohol, sad alcoholic, right? But <laughs> a lot of this, and I, I love the, you know, what a lot of people think uh, is Oriental music is actually um, Occitanian music, you know, which was mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of like what a lot of the troubadours and all that were doing, and uh, you know, it was a language and culture that was very easily preserved because it didn't evolve in uh, 500 years, you know, people people still speak the same Occitanian as they spoke back then, and so the music carried out really well, and I love the comb, and I think. They, they were definitely listening to a lot of kind of, um, I don't mean this in a negative way, but like folk punk mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. of that style, and it kind of really creeps through. But then also, I'm convinced that these guys were listening to a lot of Wolfnacht as well, because and absurd and bands like that that had that, you know that had black metal songs, but mainly built out of punk riffs, kind of very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you want to like um, tell us about the? I just looked looked it up a bit. So this this. 
So, like, for the Troubadour thing, a band we mentioned in connection to that and to the Occitan uh, a lot on this show is Arlock, whose oh, songs sure. are just, like, deal directly with, like, Troubadour history and, uh, you know, they're, like, they have... Like their their 2008 record was like about I think had a lot to, had stuff to do with like the downfall of the, the the crusade against the Cathars right who were probably crypto we were condemned as heretics but were probably crypto pagans um, and something like and you know that this is somehow related to troubadour culture but so this is so this is in southwestern France um, and Occitan this old regional language is spoken here too. What what else about the the region? This is Perigord. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically, um, <laughs> I don't actually know much about that region, but the, it's okay. It's just give like, us a couple stereotypes. It's it's only like forty minutes away. I mean, you know, they don't have any major cities around. You know, there's no city with um, a population of over a million. A lot of small mm-hmm. towns, and you know, it's very spread out, very low density. So you know, kind of very. Well, you know, the deep France, you know, it seems to be a kind of bastion for the old peasant culture. There really isn't much that area, you know. It, it, <laughs> sheep <laughs> and valleys and <laughs> but the geology is interesting, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, obviously, these guys have a lot of knowledge in uh, geology because literally every, fu- every fucking word is taken out from their high school geology textbook. There's no other way, man. I think these guys got drunk and were reading this stuff. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, let me. Uh, in the in the interest of time, let me do another sample real quick <laughs> before we just talk about French geology all night. Um, all right. So, uh, uh, La Lanterne du Mort. Um, this is this is a really interesting passage. This is pretty close to Anternos, you know, which we covered a few weeks back uh, in that band's kind of most abstract moments. Um, and this is a section that is just a lot of kind of like swirling melody and kind of jangly guitar tone, but there's this there's this insistent pulse of like hardcore power behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think these guys like uh, Aset, they they managed to fuse those disparate ideas better than anyone I've heard before. If you this very light, airy sort of melodic quality with this kind of earthy driving pulse, and uh, I don't know, I I think that a lot of people have attempted that sort of thing, but I think these guys accomplish it better than anyone. So uh, let's give that one a shot real quick. Yeah. 
so after after listening to that again and listening to these samples, I'm starting to think that one of the things that makes these guys so special and makes their music so distinct is that there's a consistent drag from the guitars behind the drums. Like between like a 16th and an 8th note, the one of every phrase is usually not the beginning of the riff, but a slide into the riff. You know, there's a lot of very delicate playing with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like staggering things slightly off each other so it has this kind of romantic, drunken feel to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's the thing is, it's so consistent through the whole record. They weren't just wasted when they recorded it. It's, it's rigorously defined. Um, and it just always works. You know, that, that technique, like they've mastered that very... Very simple, but very challenging rhythmic technique, and it infuses all the music with a very distinct feel as a result. That's really well put. Yeah, you're, you're better at the counting stuff than me. Um, I only have feelings. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that, that, that I, I agree. That sense of, I mean, that, that's what I was going to flag on my last sample, too, just that kind of, um, the, uh, you know, just... The sense for, yeah, I guess, like, the rhythm section is really good and very active, and also just the sense of rhythm as a whole in the band. That That's true about the guitars. You know, it's very just, like, um... It's also just played very sort of physically and intuitively. Like, you get... I don't think you get to a stagger like that, right? You get to a stagger like that naturally, and then you figure out how to reproduce it throughout the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's like that's the sort of little uh, little flourish that you add as when you're like playing with feeling, and then it just sticks yeah. it and becomes a feature of the song. It's um. Well, also what it reminds me of, uh, that whole kind of swaying vibe reminds me a lot of some of those nautical vibes you get off of a lot of the Dutch bands. Yeah, I think the Hedon's Heart bands are a really good reference point for this. It doesn't sound exactly like any of them, but, you know, uh, yes, a kind of nautical quality, that makes sense. Um, although this is not, not a very nautical region, but I know what you mean. A kind of like, uh... Yeah, yeah. It's, um... Uh, I, I know what you mean, um, and the and just like an intensely organic quality to it, um, in the way that a lot of the Dutch bands have. But also in terms of just the kind of lush coloring on the big chords. And that's another thing I was thinking that's like kind of a hiding influence here is probably Druk. Um, probably, Dutch, yeah. What's remarkable about the Dutch, right, is that they sort of they just evolved quietly on their own just listening to the black metal they thought was good very very indifferent to trends right but they listened to everything right and they took some of it that they that they liked right so there's like no dutch none of the hedon's heart bands sound like slavic black metal but you could all tell they're paying attention to it right definitely Um, and, and so here too when in these parts i i saw in the notes you compared a few parts to like you said like does this sound like just post black but good um, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of just like some of the post black I've heard where it's like I like their textural ideas, but mm-hmm. the riff underneath sucks. Here, like they're they're creating engaging melodies and using all those sort of modern textural techniques. So, and yeah, that, that and, might and, and, that might be Slavic, that might be post black. I mean, that might be a lot of things, right? Well, now. it's. I mean, I think I'm. I think what I'm saying is like a lot of those 
those kinds of post black riffs come from Druk, right? Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, just playing like fl- flaring out these big bar chords and playing around with them and adding and subtracting strings and sort of really swinging into the rhythms is a pretty Roman Senko thing to do. They're just not at all trying to sound Slavic or imitate the. Uh, they're not superficially imitating it, which is cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, oh, just for the... I, I totally blanked on this because you related it more to, like, oi, and I was just started trying to explain why it was oi, not emo. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, like, just as a sample for our listeners, like, when we were comparing this to Pestmar, um, this is also a source for that jangly guitar style, right? And Pestmar is obviously getting it from the folk music and oi and whatever. There, there are a lot of... I think, I think this band's guitar style is fueled by a lot of different sources, but there's just mm-hmm. a good, um, very direct parallel to here. We don't even, we, we're just going to listen to some of this quick. This is La Mesne Mordrasar. 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 Nick, this is where you jump in and help us. <laughs> La, La Mini Mordrasar. Ooh, God, every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, pro- the problem with this fucking, t- with the whole titles is that it's old French. It's like no one ro- has written like that in the la- last 300 years. <laughs> I don't even know if it's correct. I, I can't tell you. <laughs> Word. So, uh. Let's so listen to let's, that. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's go to that. Um. Pestmore always sounds like an American guy doing a parody of France. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a fucking some guy jangling on a, sh- you know, on his shitty amp, or you know, with a beret, a baguette, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, so this is yeah, this is from Ballade uh, contre Lo Anime Francor, uh, and this is that was their second record or third record, and um, I think like. Uh, you know, yeah, I went back to this a while ago, and I'm like, well, I like this. This doesn't have as much of the sort of crazy carnivalesque interruption stuff. It's just this kind of, uh, 
you know, the rhythms are strange relative to black metal, right? This is like a marching beat. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got this sort of uh, crazy, very out guitar playing. Um, but yeah, you can hear, you can, you can hear that jangly style there, right? That's all. Yeah. Oh no, I, I, I absolutely hear, I hear that and I hear the sway that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Although like, Asset and some of these newer guys are going way further down the rabbit hole on that, like doing whole, you know, it's like they're swaying a full eighth note where here it's a lot more subtle, just kind of dropping in. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely hear this as a, a primary influence to this whole style. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm playing it mostly because like, I, like I didn't remember this record, right? When I went back, I was like, oh, this is good. Um like our uh, and so I feel like a lot of our fans may either only know them from their later material or not know them at all, and it's like mm-hmm. you know it's 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 a it's a major major reference point. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nick, have, would you say that's kind of the beginning of this style, at least for the French scene, was Pest Noir, or is there older stuff that kind of leads into that? Um, the well, the. Technically, releases the first, the second mutilation uh, record. You know, uh, the the you know not the not the vampires of imperial blood, but the other the, one. Uh, remains of a ruined anchor soul. Yeah. yeah, that that one is, um, you know, that's like where the really jangly, um, you know, out of tune kind of you know where it sounds almost like you know a guy on his uh, folk guitar, you know, kind of playing his lute. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, it kind of has well. You know what, I think Mutilation was probably because they didn't really know how to play and they probably learned, you know, on cheap acoustic guitars because, you know, you know, before guitar, you know, electric guitars were cheap, you know, back then they were really expensive. So I also mm-hmm. do think that a lot of the jangly stuff comes, one, from the approach, learning how to play acoustic guitars, and two, from, you know, uh, the general technological tools that they had at the disposal. Mm. But then also on this, on this uh, sample, I hear a lot more Norwegian black metal influence than what the the earlier you know Vlad Tepes, Crystal Nacht and or you know Senor Volant and all those guys were doing before hmm what marks it as Norwegian are you thinking just some of the melodies are very reminiscent of uh, Burzum you know despite the kind of jangly mm, French yeah. playing you know there isn't that kind of um, uh, you know that kind of weird melody that comes out you know the melodies are very not ob- not obvious but they're very out there you know where you compare them to the to the you know to the LN bands where you really have to search for the melodies because they're kind of hidden within the noise I think uh, Famine's really good at just like kind of not making it easy to listen to but really presenting it you know rather than having you know to scratch your head trying to think what the hell is going on here yeah uh, another thing that you know, mutilation, I suppose you could say, like, Ravens at my funeral, or Ravens of my funeral, has this mood. Like, that that track on um, Vampires of Black Imperial Blood, right? There are some, actually, some... Although I don't think of... I don't really identify mutilation with that sound. There are some really sort of disgusting, punked-out, kind of drunk-sounding mutilation songs. Yeah, and they even have sections where it's kind of like... Where you know, I think they um, famine removed a lot of the noise stuff that was going on because I can't remember. You know, it was one of one of the bands from that scene. You, you know, where what's his name? Johan Munch was the drummer for like a twenty different f- black metal bands in the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands. 
<laughs> and you know all of them on at least one EP have these long drawn out kind of a uh, noise punk sections hmm hmm I'll have to check out some of that stuff um all right let's wrap it up what do you got what do you got for a final sample man yeah um this is the title track uh this is a big climactic part we've already talked about the rhythm uh so uh just listen to I'd say we don't need to talk it over at the end let's just roll out on this um and uh listen to I mean on this particular part I would listen to say like the the bass again is really important in this band not just as a not just in creating this rhythmic push and pull effect that the death metal guys summed up so well before but um in it's very free floating the bass is almost always playing like counter melodies and you get the sense that he just told the bassist like yeah man do whatever like <laughs> you know like like play something that sounds cool um which is and because there's all this sonic space under the clean guitars it's really possible and also listen to the drums i feel like throughout this record there are um we actually got this a little bit on the uh on on the uh maggot uh, Maggot Crown from earlier. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, in that, like, you get sort of these hard breakdowns that are chopped up in weird places, right? Mm -hmm. On that. Here you get, like, same, you get sort of like double bass rolls in places where you wouldn't quite expect them, or they last a little longer than they would in the hardcore version, or they start and stop in different places, or they're cut, they're clipped by a snare or the start of a new guitar section in different mm -hmm. spots. So, like, there's a lot of really sophisticated... There's a lot of, like, okay, we're going to take this basic hardcore trope that is attached to a fixed musical section, like the breakdown, right? And we're going to make it into this more sort of free-floating black metal technique that we can apply wherever we want. So, like, listen to cool breakdowny double bass stuff, and, uh, yeah, and let's roll out on this.
Damn, that's really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, that is sick. All right, so we are we were just listening to uh, the way to Delphi, which is the uh, lead track off of Return of the Sophist, uh, the second album by Polemicist, um, out on which will be coming out on Hessian Firm very soon, right, Nick? Yep. Uh, June 25th or 27th, whatever the Friday of that week is. <laughs> That's, like, really sick. I, I've, I've not really listened to much Polemicist apart from the uh, the other, like, promo single you guys have released for it. And, uh, wow, that's that's really cool. And that's, it both kind of fits my expectations of your label and changes it a little bit. Because this, to me, reads as in a good way, one of the more accessible things that you've put out. Now, definitely, I've heard, like, the other Polemicist track, which is a lot more challenging listening, but this is, like, this is immediate. This is just fucking sick in, from note one, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can immediately tell it's good from the first note. Like, that's it's a distinctive quality of some metal. You just hear the tone, you hear... You just hear everything lined up from the first note, and you're like, "Okay, this is good." So, so tell us a little bit. Here you go. Here's your here's your chance to plug, man. Talk about Hessian Firm. Talk about Polemicis. Talk about. Well, I, I can. Yeah. I has has Polemicis changed any from the first? I went back and listened to. I have not listened to Zarathustrian Impressions in detail, but I've listened to some of it because I figured, okay, we're eventually going to be reviewing this band, um, and it had. Uh, this it, it had some very like definitely close the, the songs I heard from there were definitely closer to the Hessian firm idea I'm familiar with uh, definitely some strangely shaped melodies um, some extremely proficient guitar stuff on there um, but uh, and often it kind of sounded like it was this blend of like sort of difficult black death melodies with very gratifying and immediate hooks like he wouldn't um, there, there wasn't a sense that they were deliberately uh, thwarting typical kinds of gratification there was like it sort of connected to the catchy things about dissection as well and this seems to yeah carry that a lot further yeah well you know um, I speak a lot to, to Josiah and uh, his thing you know as much as he loves the challenging stuff you know he's got a huge amount of love um, you know for heavy metal for good cat, you know, for good catchy music in any kind of style, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you need that that strong hook can really elevate a song, uh, and something you know much greater. You know, Dissection, Sacramentum, all those bands. You know, I they were all listening to Iron Maiden constantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think here, what he wanted to do with Return of the Sophists, because you know the the production on uh, Zarathustran Impressions was fairly poor. Mm -hmm. The ideas were. You know, he, he had been working on a long time, but it was very, uh, it was kind of like, not simple, you know, it was the seed of what he wanted to do in terms of, uh, in terms of ideas, you know, because he wants to do the kind of catch stuff, he wants the, the catchy, you know, the, the huge choruses, you know, that don't, that don't fall into kind of Vacan metal, you know, Arch Enemy 2006, uh, hey, hey, <laughs> let's, let's stand up and shout, brethren, you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he still wanted the huge, the huge hooks, cause, which, which is something I, I like. You know, um, I want to say I love rock music. 
so I think some pop music can be absolutely phenomenal. You know, I do think the Depeche Mode that influenced a lot of metal and influenced a lot of the best of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, there is no shame in having huge choruses. You know, it's 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 always a great point of reference. It does help you distinguish each each songs. But you know, on Return of the Sophists, um in many ways, it kind of overwrites um, Zedai because it's everything that was good about Zedai, but it's a million times better. You know, everything's kind of been not. You know, it's not the same songs rewritten, but it's the same principles pushed with a lot more wisdom, expertise, and still a, a sense of adventure. You know, trying to figure out new ways to harmonize, and a lot of the weird melodies and the kind of, especially the you know the harmonies come from uh, Josiah and Lydia's um, Lydia's playing styles. You know, because Josiah is a self-taught guitarist. He does everything. You know, he listens to something. He'll sit there, think about it a lot. And then he'll kind of come up with these riffs. Whereas, you know, Lydia's um, was a professional, has been a professional musician for over twenty years now. Uh, oh shit! Sure. Yeah, she plays the cello, she plays the violin. Um, you know, a, a lot. Her father's a very good jazz music- musician because they've sent me videos of them jamming. So, you know, they spend a lot of time together, and all they do is jam and come up with this crazy stuff. And sometimes they, f- <laughs> you know, they forget what they do, <laughs> what they play, and they have to come up with it again. <laughs> I think that's like where a lot of the catchy stuff comes you know because if you never write your songs right if you don't like obsessively tab them out on a mm-hmm. guitar pro you have to remember them and if you can remember them you know that means that they're good enough to be remembered so so she's doing the bass right no she is doing or the also the guitars guitar. yeah Shit. the bass was right. bass was done by a guy called um, he was a session bassist Jan Norgerg I think but you know, he he was just literally in for the for the bass parts. No, Lydia does most of the lead guitar, really the lead guitar. But then sometimes they have this weird dynamic where they'll switch. She can come up with a rhythm part, and Josiah will play the lead. Mm-hmm. So they're very versatile in, in that sense, and they, yet they have differing styles. But they really do understand what polemicist is, and they can kind of, you know, um, explore a lot of crazy chord shapings, like like shapes that come from jazz, especially and classical music. I, I fell into the female bassist trap. I should, uh, that was, a, <laughs> that was a, you know, I'm gonna, uh, sorry, ladies. That was, a, um, but, but that's pretty cool. So there's a, uh, there's like, they're, they're both involved. They're both involved in the writing kind of in the way that the guys from Into Oblivion are, right? Um, like, like, uh, when we, or, 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 sorry, from, from, sorry, from, uh, Cromlech, but also I think Into Oblivion works this way too. But when, when we had, uh, we had, uh, Roman and Baron on, they were talking about, you know, switching, like, they can each write each other's riffs almost, right? And they, they can each do a rhythm or a lead part or whatever. And so it seems like that kind of double, there's like full double composer energy here. Oh, yeah, definitely. So in, so in terms of how Polemesis connects to the rest of Hessian Firm, because we've covered a few of your records on the show now, and uh, something we really seized on was the guys in Mephitis talking about uh, the idea of dark metal. Um, and you know whether you personally adopt that term or not, that seems to be a kind of energy that infuses a lot of the stuff that you put out. And uh, uh, the way that we understand it is a sort of... Uh, you know, it, it's rooted in early black and death stuff uh, from the early 90s, 
but then it's kind of split into its own direction. You know, it's not specifically black or death metal. Like, even just listening to this Polemicist track, I'm personally hearing uh, some Hellenic black metal, like some old rotting Christ or Varathron, and I'm also hearing like a little bit of like immolation or kind of like complex NYDM stuff. But the the overall effect is not either of those. It's something unique. So could you extrapolate on, you know, what your label is about, what you're looking for? You know, because every label has its own sound. It has its own kind of thing that it's seeking out. So what is that for you, Nick? Uh, honestly, it's just well-composed music, you know, regardless of genre or... Um or, or style but then you know i'm not gonna lie i do gravitate towards dark metal and i have spent a lot of times you know talking to people asking me what the hell dark metal is in mcdonald's people who don't listen to metal <laughs> <laughs> if i'm eating at mcdonald's i can't look at the screen so you have, i have to talk to you know i mean it's actually in 2019 you know i hear ember dawn and i hear zarathustra and impressions and they came out like two months apart these guys you know they didn't know each other but it's, like you said, weird kind of similar energy. Like, is this black death, black metal? Is this death metal? Um, you know, Pendaf really vouches for the dark metal term, which is, which honestly, which works really well because I do think that um, the dark metal album by Bethlehem, their first full length, mm-hmm. really epitomizes that. Here's a bit of, you know, here's some black death metal that's very, um, kind of, how do I say it? Gothic, but without the cheesiness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, romantic. Um, you know, and the, you know, I don't think you know that dark metal is a proper genre per se. But there are a lot of bands who really do get into that combination of black death, and that's something no one's really explored much. And but except you know, well, you know, except people who use the word dark metal to say anything uh, that has big titty goth gf on vocals and keyboard and guy, <laughs> you know guy chugging along in the background with his eight string guitar or something i don't know I've, I've, but i do think the word dark metal is very um represents a lot of what those bands do you know sinoth who we we reissued their 1995 cd um album research and they've been using the dark metal term since 1990 and a lot of people you know ask tell you confused because they're like wait do these these guys influenced by black metal i was like yeah 1990 they kind of came before but it's not really death metal it has some gothic rock influences and it kind of goes you know some doom as well because i know all those guys were listening to a lot of doom back then so yeah it's i mean you know there's no fixed definition for dark metal but i don't know romantic black death that's what i'd call it yeah well yeah it's interesting you bring up the doom because dark metal i remember back in the day Back when, like, Hellride music was kind of a big deal in the Doom scene. Uh, you know, people trying to create this distinction between Doom Metal, which for Hellride people was basically St. Vitus, Trouble, and for newer stuff like Reverend Bazaar, and everything that was even slightly death metal influenced was dark metal. Like, all mm. the Peaceville stuff was dark metal, Funeral Doom was, like, dark metal, and they just... They, they kind of abandoned all that. So it's interesting to see how different scenes have used that term in different ways over the years. And it's cool to see people trying to, like, codify it into something personal to them. Yeah, I mean, I do think that um, the peaceful stuff is definitely, um, you know, dark metal in the sense, in the sense you know, we see it over at Hessian Firm. You know, the early stuff, early Paradise Lost, uh, the first one. Um, what's, the other, what's the other British band? My Dad, 
yeah my dying bride as well yeah, yeah you know on, on some of the songs like sammy mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah so so yeah i do sear me is sear me is total dark metal sear me could be on hessian firm now <laughs> yeah like as the flower withers is such a, a forgotten record because everyone just listens to turn loose the swans but that's a weird fucking album it's much more death metal than anyone remembers from that band yeah, there's a lot of... I think in those bands there's an undertone of just, like, death crust. Like, a lot of those guys had dreadlocks and shit, and it's, like, English death metal. <laughs> yeah. Like, bolt thrower, benediction, uh, sacrilege, old thrash and shit, all as the basis for this kind of... Um, uh, you know, like, the riffs on there really aren't that much like European death metal riffs from that time. Well, I'd say... I'd say another thread that I'm hearing in the Hessian Firm stuff, like, pretty much through all the stuff we've listened to, from Mephitis to Into Oblivion to Polemesis to even, like, Ancient Gate, I feel like one of the undercurrents that's always coming out in bigger or smaller ways is Hellenic black metal. Um, I feel like there's touches of Old Rotting Christ and Varathron and Septic Flesh on a lot of this stuff, which is kind of an interesting thing to fold into other styles. It's very versatile, I think. You know, I've heard a non-Servium being described as a dark metal, which I really mm. do agree because, oh. you know... I, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, go, but you, it, we're, we're asking you, go. Yeah, but you know, all the Greek guys, you know, because they came out, what, 93, well, either way, you know, they were definitely very, very uh, familiar with death metal. So it does come out in many ways, you know, a lot of people say... Oh, the Hellenic stuff was just heavy metal, but with shrieks. I now come on, they have, you know, you can hear sometimes, like even, even on the first Rotting Christ, you do, you get some riffs that could fit on um, the second sentence, you know, north from here very mm-hmm. easily, or stuff like the section, you know. I'm not saying not interchangeable, but like they wouldn't be out of place within those bands. Yeah, there's brutal I, riffs. Like I, people I, forget I, about that. I've been listening to that stuff lately. I've been listening to just, like, Thy Mighty Contract and Passage to Arcturo a lot. Um, and, like, Passage to Arcturo has, like, Celtic Frost riffs on it. I mean, that, and, and it has sort of uh, heavy low-end production. Uh, but even with, um, I think, Rotting Christ, I think the Greek bands have, I was thinking about this the other day, I think the Greek bands have been, f- I think, like, the dark, treating them as dark metal is good, yeah, because, like, you know, Rotting Christ was basically complete before any of the classically second-wave-sounding Norse stuff was out, right? Thy Mighty Contract is 93. Um, Passage to Arcturo has riffs like that and is in 1991. Um, they were sort of... Uh, and, yeah, they're the, the, just even the way that they... Even the rhythmic idea in it, just that, like, they kind of help invent this kind of melodic two-string tremolo-picking thing, but they're chugging all of it. Um, the, the sort of the, the, the halftime eighth note pounding of the drums like the rhythmic ideas have nothing to do with heavy metal um, and uh, yeah, they yeah their sensibility is not they don't have the kind of sharply defined idea of what black as opposed to death metal is that the Norse bands have um, and, and I feel like Rotting Christ and all the Hellenic bands I feel like it's, when bands now say they're influenced by Hellenic black metal it's almost like a, uh, it's just a signpost for, like, this is very melodic and sounds like Iron Maiden and bad. <laughs> God damn it, do we need more Iron Maiden? I swear to God, I think, 
Um, you know, I remember hearing a quote that, you know, every James Brown sample has been used in the history of rap multiple times. I think every Iron Maiden melody has been used too many fucking times at this point. I'm sick of it. Yeah, yeah but it's like, it, it's the life's blood of a lot of the shit that you like now. I mean, shit like, uh, I mean, like, like, because something I want to get into is the influence of sort of uh, primordial melodic death metal. Um which is crucial. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Sentenced, uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, The Red in the Sky is Ours by, uh, by At the Gates, um, and then old Swedish Black Death stuff, and even at its most abstract, like The Red in the Sky is Ours, there's still a ton of Iron Maiden throughout. I, I think that's one of the cool things about the music you put out, though, is that as abstract as it gets, as um, weird and kind of dissonant and technical as it gets, it never really forgets the, the heavy metal at the core of it. And uh, I'm interested in kind of drawing out your thoughts on that because I feel like there's a lot of shit going on right now, not just in terms of, like, the dark metal thing, but a lot of... We've been covering on the show a lot of this sort of stuff that's reaching towards primordial extreme metal. Like, late 80s, like... I think especially in the death metal side, like, Death Strike, Master-type stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Even reaching back to, like, deep-cut Celtic Frost. And I think that... Obviously, these are very different styles, but there's a parallel thought of revisiting the origin of some of these ideas before it got simplified and stripped down, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not surprised. You know, I think Celtic, you know, a lot of those bands like Death Strike and Celtic F- Frost, um, there was so many, you know, it opened up so many passageways like, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of what everyone could do with it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, Slayer, you know, Slayer is always going to be a huge influence because, you know, every single death metal band ever is derived in one way or another from Slayer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised if, you know, in many ways, you know, if people want to go back to the origins to find, okay, we did all these branches. Wait, is there another branch we can take from there? Because, you know, you can't really make something um, original from, uh, you know, incantation. You know, incantation style is so set in stone. That anyone who approaches it is essentially aping incantation in one way or another. Way yeah, I can it. see that. Yeah, it's that's that's too far down the line. Like incantation is too, it's too precise. Like it's great music, but there's only so much you can do with it because incantation just does like two, two or three ideas so obsessively and rigorously. And one, it has more of a codified idea of, like, by that point you're dealing with, like, peak death metal, right? Same way that, like, um, you know, uh, I don't think something like Gorgoroth has the weirdness or kind of sort of, uh, generative potential that, like, you know, I mean, I think Under the Sign of, I think Under the Sign of Hell is my favorite, like, Norwegian black metal album, but I don't think it's, like, it doesn't have the kind of, um, it doesn't have that, like, multitude of potentials in it that some of the slightly earlier, weirder Norwegian black metal has. I mean, I'd say, I'd say that Pentagram and Antichrist still have shit to dig out. I think there's things you can learn from those records for sure, and I, but, you know, like, a lot of what you can learn from it is Gorgoroth riffs. Right? <laughs> As opposed to, like, um, you know, like, there are ideas about... Yeah, I mean, I think Infernus has been really poorly understood as a guitarist and shit like that. But like, um, but like that's I, I'm just trying to give an example of like a black metal band that like is um, 
important, but that doesn't quite have the same uh, the the same protean quality of these like primordial bands where you look back at them. Oh, and I get you it. See, yeah, you can see all these different futures coming out of it. They're they're full of this. You know, all all great music has like this kind of fertility about it, and it's like the origin point is full of possible futures. And Nick put it very well, I think. I think Nick was getting at that. But like something like, um, I don't know, if you go back to like a blaze in the northern sky, or like Burzum, or uh, you know, um, in Mayhem for sure, right? If you listen to Mayhem, you you could just hear like everything after it already in it. Well, that, that's interesting because I, I was thinking while you were talking about Day Mysteries and it's like, that's one of those records that has a multitude of ideas, but it's such a mastery of them that it's like, fuck, where, I mean, the, the only thing you could do with Day Mysteries is take one of those ideas and continue with it. Like, as far as fully realized, totally rounded old school black metal. Yeah, actually Demisterius I, yeah. is probably not a good Demisterius is not a good example because that's But also like Death Crush, like, yeah. That's also very Demisterius is very much this is black metal defining itself against death metal. Um Yeah, yeah. In in the same way that Incantation is very death metal. So, yeah, Death Crush or I I really like Live in Leipzig. I think that certainly fits the um that certainly fits in chronologically and kind of like just in terms of what song sets they were drawing on that's sitting right there in that mm-hmm. primordial I can see that metal one. territory because they've got yeah. the melodies coming in but it's not as elaborated yeah I honestly think that Live in Leipzig is probably like the most uh, influential be- be it black metal record of all time you know whether you like it or not but just in terms of what everyone's taken from that record Hmm, interesting say, say more do you think that's just because that was like the first Mayhem recording with their new sound that everyone could get their hands on? I just, I don't know, I, I was, honestly I think it's more because of the, the production you know, that left you know, in many ways a lot to desire, lot to desire but you know, the melodies still do ring in a fairly kind of weird way, you know I, I don't think they were look, particularly looking to invent that called necro cult sound but it just so happened on that record and yeah, I think it's like the kind of halfway point between two styles and you know, everything was still open for, you know, it was all fair game at that point. That's, yeah, that's what I was getting at, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, just like we were talking about, going before the strict division of black and death metal, you know, just going back to everybody's listening to these various shades of very extreme metal for the time, and then cooking up, like, what the future was from there, before everything was striated you know, and really heavily defined by certain genre conventions. Yeah, I mean, is, is Sarcophago, like, black, thrash, or death, you know, uh, on Inri? I don't really really know, to be honest. It's it, it's all of them fully. It's like the Holy Trinity, you know? the uh, <laughs> Christ embodies every element fully, but within the Trinity. So, <laughs> Sarcophago is 100% Black Death and Thrash. I think, at, I think at that's, a good, that's a good point, and you can say that about a lot. There are some other really good albums you can say that about. I'm trying to think of an example from back then. I mean, Celtic Frost. like Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, fucking Morbid Tales and Emperor's Return are 100% Black Death and Thrash at the same time. 
Or, uh, I mean, you can, like, I mean, I mean you can back to the dark. You could say that for Hellhammer, and you could say that Hellhammer was also a hardcore band. You could arguably say that about Celtic Frost as well. Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. No. So, um, but let's let's get to a little bit more modern stuff, and uh, specifically relating to shit on the show, and I, I'm interested to talk to you, Nick, because you're on the ground floor of some of this stuff. Um, something we've talked about a lot on the show you know, in the year that we've been doing it, is the idea of normative black metal now, as far as what people are regularly listening to, is... We describe it as Franco-Finnish. Like, it's a combination of French ideas and Finnish black metal ideas, and I would say the roots for each are going to be, like, from France it would probably be Seigneur Valand, and then from Finland it would probably be Sargeist and Horna. Um, Sargeist and Satanic Warmaster. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, Sargeist yeah. and Satanic Warmaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep cut people listen to Horna. <laughs> yeah, Horna um, is the one that was popular for us when we were coming up that's now everyone forgets about. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to know from your perspective as a guy who's living in France, um, you say we're American. The things that pick up here are a little bit different, but obviously most of the generative ideas in black metal are always going to be coming from. Europe. I mean, they're, and we're going to follow and modify them after the fact. So, how do you feel French black metal, in what we see as its sort of, at least in part, dominance over black metal now, I mean, how does that relate to the local scene? How are French black metal bands on the ground floor responding to their style, at least in part, being one of the most important things in black metal right now? Um, you know, what? I remember uh, a long time ago. No, it was like three years ago. Uh, there was this big Facebook uh, black metal group, and me being a, <laughs> me being very edgy at the time, I just wrote, you know, what? French black metal sucks. It's <laughs> the parody of Norway. Uh, you know, I obviously I didn't believe in that, but you know, I just I don't know for some reason it felt funny. I remember <laughs> five minutes getting a hundred. Would, would you comments. say that you were? Would you say that you were doing what's known as trolling? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've read some articles on it, and I think I've encountered a few of them online, but I didn't let them get my go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know if, like, if, it, if, it, was, if it was troll. I don't, it, it wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm going to go troll for half an hour today. No, it was just a, a subconscious thing I would do, you know, write something up, check it on the phone in like 20 minutes. And then the funny thing is, like, I saw, I saw like 110 comments or 120 comments in, like, in the first couple of minutes. And people going, oh, you're crazy, you're mad, you're insane. Um, or people doing the kind of really emotion, overly emotional um, airport thing. You know what? I'm tired of people's disrespect. I'm leaving this group. Uh, you know, and then <laughs> try to, to get people to say, no, don't go, please. We need you to post random links. Please don't go. <laughs> and, you know, all I remember, the funniest comments, though, were the people from... Um, French-speaking countries, not from France, so Belgium, Switzerland, um, Luxembourg, all that, going, you know what, this kid's right, uh, French black <laughs> mouth sucks. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, I, I just think people fucking, you know, they fucking love it, they're really proud of their stuff, and, you know, there's a lot more American influence to it than people in America will probably realize, you know, that... Uh, for a band to break out in France, they have to break out in America first. You know, Gojira is huh. the fucking example. It's like the poster child for that. You know. Well, in terms of black metal, what Does do you that feel? Does that apply even to the BM underground? Yeah, I'm 100 percent sure. You know, I, 
I, I spoke to some old guys and they're like, look, we heard about Deathspell Omega from Americans and Brits. <laughs> That's interesting. So it's it's European bands going through the promo cycle in America, getting picked up and then feeding back into France. Oh yeah, and a lot of them they'll use you know, uh, for a while you know they were going to American sound engineers, um, American PR. You know they still do. I mean I'm sure you guys get you know if, if you get um, a lot of PR stuff you get from French labels goes through you know oh, uh, goes through Nathan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's based in uh, in America. So, you know, I honestly think, while, you know, a lot of French stuff is really good, but it's a shame that it has to, it has to go through the American seal of approval first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, well, I blame that on the internet and stuff like Rate Your Music and all those places where, you know, people are given too much of a voice, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, um... In terms of musically, it feels like this is obviously French black metal's never been not a big deal. Uh, there's always been people really appreciating it, but it feels like just over the past maybe five to ten years in particular, um, it's, all, it's all fucking American punk kids listen to. Just yeah, like, yeah, like that's French that's, and Finnish black metal and like obscure, obscure German NS tapes that sound like that. Yeah, wow. it's, uh, I mean, what do you think it is about the French style, or at least this slice of the French style, revolving around like, well, it's like so American kids, they're you've got multiple styles of French black metal, but in the American aping French style, you've got two: you've got the mutilation bands, and you've got the Seigneur Valand bands. So, like, what what do you think it was that just like captured everyone's attention? in relatively recent years. I mean, these these records have been around forever, but it feels like now is when they're exploding. There's whole scenes built around these single ideas. I mean, what do you think happened in the past few years? Uh, you, know, you know, that's something I've observed a lot. Um, I have a few possible explanations. I think one, Thurston Moore, you know, from Sonic Youth, when he tried to do some shit, you know, he's gone on about mutilation and all that. Leviathan, Zastor, who are obviously all taking from the LN. And also, because one thing that people don't realize that, uh, especially, you know, I'm in the Southwest, uh, hardcore, you know, the kind of modern, really modern, recent hardcore, is very popular among, and is heavily promoted in um, in the metal scene. You know, the, the hardcore shows will sell more tickets than metal shows. They're promoted with metal. You know, there's no like, okay, here's a hardcore band, uh, here's a night of hardcore bands. That you get that, some, but not not really. You don't really get that as much. You know, when you've got small local bands, you know, the, all the hardcore metal stuff, metalcore stuff, is deeply integrated within the extreme metal stuff. Interesting. That's so, cool. So, That's really different from the US. So you know, you know, it's not hard to imagine. You know, a, a band like um, Deathspell Omega, you know, pleasing kids who are into like I don't know, Behold the Octopus. Or some, you know, some crazy, you know, hardcore metalcore derived stuff. Um, you know, uh, have you guys heard of Plebeian Grandstand, which are a local? Oh band? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, I've seen people call them um, black metal, whereas you know, uh, a friend of the band told me like they, those guys never listen to black metal. They don't know what the fuck black metal is. They don't really care about it. But <laughs> yeah, know, Plebeian kind of cross- Plebeian Grandstand is like derived from mathcore mostly. Yeah. I've seen like black metal, you know, those, those kind of black metal ki- kids really into it. 
<laughs> uh, people, people repeatedly. Uh, there's definitely an influence from that sort of thing, but people, you know, repeatedly confuse Serpent Column with Mathcore, and they compare them to bands like, uh, certainly Plebeian Grandstand, or like, yeah, shit like that. Yes, Serpent Column's so. quite uh, quite popular here. You know, I've got a few. I know a few people in black metal who hear, who heard them, and uh, you know, like Theophanus said, you know, he's really inspired by Deathspell Omega. Mm-hmm. And you know there isn't a huge jump from uh, you know the really dissonant mathcore hardcore stuff to Deathspell Omega on some of the uh, um, albums that they did like not you know, the more recent stuff. So I'm not surprised there's a crossover because you know all, both styles uh, went towards dissonance and dissonance is very popular. Black and hardcore as well as a style that's grown in the last couple of years, which I've noticed. So are there are, are there any good black and hardcore bands? I've I've heard a few. I mean, Celeste has always been around, and I, I it takes a very certain mood, but I like Celeste a lot. I don't I don't listen to to black and um, hardcore. You know, I've heard it. I've got friends who are really into that stuff, and it honestly it goes over my head. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, uh, usually black and hardcore sucks but i think the french do it better than some of the europeans do it better than americans or there was like a band called hexis from i think from belgium or something who were quite quite cool mm. but um but yeah well it's in terms of the hardcore influence you know because and this is something i want i want i want to watch you guys talk about it because you guys know this much better than me <clears throat> so at, at least in modern terms, it feels like there is, you know, just picking up through osmosis with some of the stuff the black metal guy has said over doing the podcast, it feels like there is a substantial difference between the modern American and European hardcore scenes. And I, I'm not really familiar enough with a lot of European hardcore outside of like, you know, obviously I love like Belgian beatdown stuff. But as far as some of this, you know, more dissonant, more arty, hardcore stuff goes, what what are the distinct threads being followed, you know, that are different in Europe versus the U.S.? Because obviously the hardcore that's influencing AOSOF and DSO is substantially different from the stuff that's popular here in America. I think AOSA, I think DSO was listening to stuff like like Page 99. Like D, I think like DSO was listening to like old screamo and post hardcore shit. Um, like probably even more so or along with the mathcore stuff. Um, yeah, what, what, what's your take Nick first? Um, you know, I I'm not too familiar with those uh, those bands but it's like they kind of um, it's, what, it's what I call the first wave of uh, Berkeley, you know, the Berkeley Music School hardcore. When those hardcore hardcore bands started to actually learn how to play their instruments, I think mm-hmm. um, the main one is uh, Jane, what's it, Jane Doe? No, Converge. That's it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, Jane, yeah. Jane Doe. I think that one had a huge. Um, oh yeah. Effect. And because it, it kind of got, it kind of died down. You know, that the popularity was short-lived of that record because. Well, MySpace metalcore came about, and you know, it was like let's mix mellow death with emo. So I think that it took a lot of time for you know for these a lot of these scene kids to grow up and to go back to the origins. And yeah, you know, I think that a lot of black metal, you know, De- Deathspell Omega, like people who listen to Deathspell Omega tend to listen to stuff like Converge and uh, 
um, the I can't the band that had the song dissect yourself. I can't remember. Uh, no, Car Bomb. Converge oh, yeah. was <coughs> Car Bomb. Yeah, definitely. Converge was the elephant in the room that I completely missed. But yeah, it's like that school of American hardcore seems to be like high, like you know, a clean black T-shirt. American hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems to have had the biggest influence on Europe, and the European hardcore scene seems to be very clean black T-shirt. Whereas the American hardcore scene is currently very clean white t-shirt. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it, it's funny it's, just talking about because Converge is like the first place I always go to mentally when I think about any of these kind of hardcore influenced mm-hmm. dissonant bands. But I'm always I'm always thinking to myself, no, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. It can't just be Jane Doe. But maybe maybe it really is just Jane Doe all uh, the way down. <laughs> Norma Jean as well. They're like the second biggest one, aren't they? Wow, Norma Jean. Yeah, I never listened to them because Christianity, but... Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, Norma Jean were definitely deriving... They were doing a more accessible version of Jane Doe in a big way. Yeah, I mean, oh, the band that was respected from the Christian hardcore scene really was like Zao. Um, who I didn't really listen oh, to yeah. either because again, no, Zao, yeah, they're, they're a big fucking... I, I still have people in my local scene that will travel eight states away when Zao does a show. You know, it's it's got a crazy following. I mean, they have... I mean, also, that, that vocalist has kind of like this black metal delivery, and they do have a few oh, oh, tremolo-picked yeah. power chord riffs. Oh, I think Converge probably knew what black metal was before, it, before most people in the U.S. did. I mean, they were... they If you go back to their earlier shit, like Petitioning the Empty Sky or something, they do it occasionally. They gesture to it a bit on, um, you know, uh, Jane Doe. Sorry, my br- I, I have not drunk enough caffeine today. Um, they, <laughs> they, they gesture to it a bit on Jane Doe, but, like, they can... Converge will just write Slayer songs, like, in the middle of their own songs, and they'll play them faster than Slayer, and they'll sound, like, as good as the middle songs on Rain and Blood. I mean, not, like, as iconic, obviously. Not as formative, but, like, there's, like, a... Um, Converge were really, really listening. I think, like, for there was a lot of parallel evolution between um, sort of the the screamo screamo people using blast beats and shit, right? Which they're getting more from grind and crust. But there was all. I think Converge were very aware of extreme metal. Um, a band that was important for them. Uh, let's see if I can get. They were really into a band called Rorschach. Um, oh Rorschach, yeah, that's. A- that's like old emotional hardcore stuff, right? Uh, well, the only emotion is. I've actually, um, I've actually seen uh, the Rorschach reunion uh, live many years ago, and it, it was really punishing. Um, but like some of those kinds of angular sounds in a more sort of less, less produced and less sort of, I don't know, you know, less arty, but like some of or. Yeah, yeah, less um, you know, less musiciany than Converge, but like more pri- but and you know, you can hear how it's connected to like moshy New York hardcore and shit, right? But like Rorschach did that um, back in the day, and that would be, I don't know, I'd be inter- I should go back and listen to that again. But like, there is this like Converge is part of this whole school of hardcore, which I mostly know insofar as it revolves around them because. You know, like I, I got into black metal, but 
there, there's, there's a bunch of other shit around it. I mean, Hope Conspiracy doesn't sound mathy like that at all, but it is the same kind of beefy, punchy, uh, polished sort of sound. There was a band called Cursed who were big at that time. I was never, like, crazy about the riffs, but they were also, like, early, dark, hardcore, and I could see shit like that being um, popular in Europe. And uh, Well, how, how are you skipping over one of your favorites of all time? Uh, because I have not drank. I just drank a cup of tea, and that was a horrible decision. So what, what was... <laughs> remind me. Remind me what bands I like. <laughs> Fucking Integrity. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think... Um, yeah, I mean, integrity, well, certainly for all that dark, hardcore shit, integrity is important. Converge loves integrity. That's, 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 in fact, I think Converge helped revive their reputation. Um, but, uh, do you think, do people talk about, know of, or talk about integrity in France, Nick? Um, I don't think so. I've never heard, I've never heard the, the name before. <laughs> Dude, let's make Nick listen to Integrity. The songs are short. Yes, let's let's do a, let's do a uh, that that'll be a nice interlude for this discussion. Let's do an Integrity trapped, song. Trapped under silence. Okay. Integrity trapped under silence. Let's find. I it. mean, we could do one of the more sort of mashy kind of ones, uh, but this eh, this is just this is just my favorite fucking one. Um, okay. the, the, whole, right. the whole EP flows intensely, so each song is like less good than it might initially appear to be but like <laughs> or sorry 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 my god my brain is my, my, i'm dying here um each song is better more even more sick than it might appear to be but i think this is pretty good and typical and you'll hear the the, the metal aspect and also the uh listening to a lot of like db and stuff all right all right cool let's so let's listen to let's listen to integrity and then uh, after we get back We'll get we'll get back to heavy metal so Nick's eyes don't glaze over completely. <laughs> All right.
Ha ha, big mosh riff go burr. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's always... I I think I like that more than any of the other integrity shit that you've shown me. Like, that that seizes on to me a little bit more. Because integrity suffers from, like, the same symptom for me that, like, when you describe, like, Japanese metal punk stuff, it's like, I expect something way more insane. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I always forget, oh no, it's, you know, it's 84, it can't be that crazy, <laughs> but, but no, this is like, okay, yeah, I get a lot of my, like, Boston hardcore kicks out of this. That's tight. It's partly because the guitar sound is richer on this, and some of the classic, I mean, Integrity is always very austere, uh, but the classic, here that austerity is more in terms of the songwriting, uh, like on the like i don't know like misha or judgment day or whatever from from those who fear uh for those who fear tomorrow um that is that has this very uh tightly tightly compressed sound that's not even and um it's it's like it's not going to be as uh it's not going to have the like immediate overwhelming uh that this has nick did you like integrity yeah, it was really cool. I, I mean, it really did feel like, um, you know, metal meets hardcore. Like, instead of kind of metalcore, you know, you still have a lot of that, uh, some, you know, some of the siege, you know, siege, that's a bit siege. I can hear a bit of discharge in there. Mm-hmm. You can hear a bit mm-hmm. of some of, like, early Black Flag as well. You can hear, like, old Slayer in the solos. Those are straight yeah. Kerry King solos. Yeah, even the breakdown reminds me of Slayer. Oh yeah, just way slowed down. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, no, they listened to a ton of Slayer for sure. Um, Integrity is basically the first metalcore band. Like that's like that's why people complain about the use of that term, right? Because we all associate it with, as you said, you know, baby, come back to me, don't hurt me no more. But um, <laughs> but like um. You know, we all associate with it. It was like, but um, Mommy. you know, it's, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, inte- but like integrity. People originally used that word for shit like integrity, basically. Um, yeah, if you go if you go back to like old live shows from the eighties, like I remember uh, some years back, I was watching an old uh, DVD of uh, DRI way back and probably like 87 or something uh they did a dvd of an old live show they did back then and uh they introduced them as they came on stage as you know america's best metalcore band Mm. fascinating hearing that referring to old school thrash plus hardcore stuff Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very interesting the way... Well, I, I guess metalcore is a term. It contorts based on what metal and hardcore are doing at any given time. It means what it means at the time that it's said. You know? Interesting. Oh, well, I wish... Yeah. People now just say metallic hardcore to mean, like, not that metalcore. But um... Yeah, yeah. It yeah. means not bring me the horizon. But know? basically, the term metallic hardcore started coming back in when everyone was getting really into shit like basically digging through Converge's influences to get to shit like Integrity or yeah, I can hear that. Or Rorschach would also you could probably call a metallic hardcore band at some point. Well, but yeah, even I like listen... what you said about how here Nick the heavy metal is very present, right? Like the soloing and shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. You can. 
it, it doesn't feel like quite a smooth transit like um, combination that's it's like it's not codified at all you know you can really hear the the influences and they they try to make a song out of everything that's going on and it does work hmm well yeah i can it's interesting finally hearing this integrity song i can hear the the long thread from them up to shattered realm you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like I, i i can hear finally i can hear the continuance of those ideas this this yeah. unbroken line of concepts i think I was, one of the one of the weird chronological things we found right is that the early integrity stuff predates hate breed significantly which i mean i'm sure hardcore people knew but i i did not realize yeah i mean old hate i mean we've talked about like none so vile being before satisfaction is the death of exactly. desire yeah, yeah, yeah. and how weird it is that like you know cryptopsy is doing some of these tough guy hardcore things like before it was even established <laughs> you know it's uh well but we've talked on the show plenty about the idea of hardcore and metal constantly feeding into each other that you can't really know one without knowing the other to a certain degree I mean, that was one of my biggest blind spots coming up because, you know, I grew up just, you know, I went from new metal directly into black and death metal and I missed this whole layer of context from hardcore. I had and no I, idea how to describe those ideas. You know? And I had to learn to love Iron Maiden. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I went straight from hardcore to, I'm one of those hardcore to black metal pipeline people. Um, uh, so, yeah. Well, what about you, Nick? I mean, were you a... Uh, were you a trad kid, or how'd you get into it? Um, so basically, uh, I started with uh, Linkin Park. Like, I was, I was like, Same. I was like twelve, yeah. So, new <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, you know, obviously to the to the scary music like Slipknot, you know, where there was like, more of the screaming. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and eventually, I got into like the really sappy metal core. But mm-hmm. I actually made a real uh, an, a detour, you know, to the whole dead guy. Um, um, hate, wait, no, what's, what's the pre-hate breed band? Madball, that kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh I yeah. Um, Madball, Bane, fucking any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but that unironically actually led me towards the kind of as I lay dying, betray you. Hmm. And then it was. I, I liked the early. I liked the older Atreus stuff. I've I've gone back and listened to shit like Lip Gloss and Black, and I'm still like, yeah, I feel this. That <laughs> <laughs> was like a, the other day. I finally listened to uh for the first time in my life. I finally listened to uh, Hawthorne Heights, Ohio is for lovers, and I was like, well, this is pretty fucking tight. <laughs> I mean, like, I get where all these ideas come from. <laughs> all these big choruses. <laughs> well, and they and they were codifying a bunch of stuff at their time. So that's like how much that I feel like that band was like, yeah, Hawthorne Heights or whatever. Yeah, th- those kinds of bands were like that emo type stuff had been knocking around for 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 so long, and then like bands like that. The thing how we remember emo is like bands like that. You know what I mean? When that 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 sound had been knocking around for a while. Yeah, yeah, like like hot topic emo versus traditional emo. Exactly. Yes. Hot Which, topic emo has been codified as like Hawthorne Heights codified hot topic emo. Yes. And and of course, I think the dirty secret is like hot topic emo and traditional emo are much closer than anyone wants to admit. Yeah, that's why. That's why I say don't listen to emo. Um, <laughs> kids, kids, don't do it. Um, uh, all, right, all right. So, so we should probably go back to metal. Um, 
Well, okay. Well, so or Nick I've got to finish his story. Or Nick, Nick, can you can you take us from the 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 veil of um the veil of hot topic back to the mountains of metal? <laughs> people people are just gonna laugh, but you know, eventually it was Iron Maiden, Metallica, Judas Priest, Angel Witch, and then for some reason, you know, because I I used to live in London, right? So. For, all, you know, whenever I'd walk around with a metal show, all these people would be like, check out this incredible new wave of British heavy metal band from 79. And it's like, and you know, the whole new wave of British Sick. heavy metal, it's like, yeah, you get one sick song, then you get like five five songs of, uh, you know, uh, Baby, I'm Gonna Rock You All Night. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like one dope heavy metal song and five shitty AOR songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are like, oh man, new wave of British heavy metal, that's where it was at. I'm like, Oh come on, man! This is, a lot of this stuff is just awful bar rock. And then you know, well, from <laughs> but what was it in that that you found that like drove you forward? Because oh, we've been we've been me and uh, me and the black metal guy we've been sharing some like dug up kind of like NWO BHM seven inches, and it's like holy shit! Why wasn't this huge? You know, this is amazing. It sounds contemporary. You know, you know, there's um. A playlist that Al- Lars Ulrich did, which is fucking insane. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got like seventy or eighty songs on it, and it pretty pretty much has the kind of core of uh, you know what I think is the best stuff. But you know, unfortunately, with the whole kind of new wave British heavy metal stuff, it's like, it's like yeah, you've got to find the seven inches, you've got to find the demos, and something. Then then you get, and then you have the you know what I call like the Metallica syndrome, when a lot of these bands their song gets covered by Metallica, so they blow up. And then they mm-hmm. end up re-recording, you know, the demo version of a song that inspired Metallica on a full length, and it sounds awful. You know, yeah, Blitzkrieg, it loses all the energy. Yeah. You know, Blitzkrieg have recorded, I think they've recorded the song, you know, Blitzkrieg a million times by now. I, I, it's been on so many albums. And then you hear stuff like, you know, Holocaust from Scotland. They had the song called The Small Hours, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I can't, I think it came out like 82 or 83, just before Metallica. But they have a riff that's literally at Slayer speed. These four kids from Scotland, which is hmm. insane on one small demo. Interesting. I do not know about those bands. Yeah, I don't know any about. I, I mean, I know some of the bigger covers because, like, like Met- Metallica. We all know, know Diamond Head, right? <laughs> yeah, we all know Diamond Head, but how many of us have actually listened to a Diamond Head album? Because I, I fucking haven't. I've certainly not listened to the whole album. <laughs> I like like to the nations. I I've listened to some like dumb fucking forgotten NWO PHM shit. Like I had CDs from like Raven and Quartz back in the day. <laughs> like shit that nobody cares about. I, Just I like I, I like Angel Witch. I think Angel Witch is cool. I've, I've Angel Witch is cool. Whole, That's different. I think yeah. I've listened to that whole record the, all the way through. Yeah. Now you've got to listen to the to the extended version with the the, the demo songs because you know a lot of the, a lot of the times um the, these guys would have managers and they would push the bands on the full lengths to very poppy di- directions. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know it's like you compare the the early Angel Witch demos where the drumming was a bit more chaotic, a bit over the place, and then on the full length where the you know the producer goes nah nah you know. I just want you to go, you know, uh, ACDC beat, you know, kind of mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. Two, you know, one, two, one, two. And it loses all its stuff. The, the single versions are fucking terrible, you know. The Angel Witch title title track, it has a fucking, it has a single version where they remove uh, this long, incredible, you know, twin harmonized melody. 
you know, just so it could fit in the whatever, you know, the the pop format of three and a half minutes. Interesting. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. That's sick. I think I've heard the full version, but I wonder. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, Because the twin guitar stuff on that is incredible. Um, There's, like, basically no difference between the twin guitar on that song and, like, the good mellow death. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, plenty of people have... It, it feels like only now that people are starting to understand in the popular metal culture that Melodeth is just Iron Maiden. I mean, that's uh, like to that's be, like to, at the gates told everyone and nobody listened. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like that's at the gates recorded an Angel Witch, or I think they, I think they may have recorded an Angel Witch cover. Yeah, no, it's like I mean that's been old hat for like serious extreme metal people, but now it's like everyone's realizing it. And it, it, it's funny because now that everyone's realizing it and just accepting it, now they're making really good music in that style again. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> they got over the bullshit. You know? <laughs> All right, so uh, so Nick, um, breaking away from that briefly, I I want to do something fun and spicy towards the end of this episode, because yeah. um, we we've talked a little bit on the show about. Uh, the kind of shit that you're into and my joke about how you hate 75% of our stuff. And I tried asking this question to our patrons and of course they just bowed out of it. But what is our worst take on the show? What are we completely wrong about Nick? I want to hear from you because I know there's plenty of shit that we like that you hate, but what are we just fucked up on? Yeah. What do we, what, what do we hate that you like or any, anything? Yeah. Or what do we like that you hate? Well, I already know those. <laughs> you know what? Let, let's start with the, the worst take I've ever heard on Terminus. wasn't from either of you. It wasn't from actually anyone who was on the show. It was for Kevin from Cromlech who said that, um, <laughs> that yeah, in the Nightside Eclipse is a bad album. Well, fuck Kevin. Um, he's a f- <laughs> Don't listen to Kevin ever, okay? Oh, you see, I agree with Kevin on that. I don't like no, 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 Kevin, Eclipse. No, no, no. That was that was a bad that that he was listing our bad takes. Kevin was saying that we we had a bad take for saying in the Nightside Eclipse was. I don't think either of us said. I think Death Metal Guy came closer to saying it, but I don't think either of us said it was a bad album. I'll say it. It's not. It, it like I can just listen to Emperor. And, you know, I, I can listen to the original IPs and I have the better versions of those songs, straight up. I, I do agree with that. Although, you know, yeah, I do agree with that. Although there are songs on there that aren't on the EP, but yeah, yeah. Um, that can't be it. I mean, we both like Sargeist, who you hate. So. I, I, I think at this point, I think at this point I hate Sargeist just by like... <laughs> Just, I, it, like, I recognize that that, I mean, I, I do think that uh, Let the Devil In is a great record, but, like, I, I I think I'm just too invested in hating shit that sounds like it. Oh, it's a it's a McGlaw situation, where it's like, even if the originator is great, yeah, but you can I still actually, fucking hate it. But I actually <laughs> listened to McGlaw on the wreck, on the reg. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, shit! I got, I got. We should talk about that with Nick because I, <laughs> Nick, I remember looking back on, uh, you know, DM.org. I remember when uh, with Hearts Toward None came out, and there were like two different reviews of it, 
And it, the way I saw it, both those reviews were just people struggling to find reasons to hate it. <laughs> like, it was, it was, it was so fucking strained where it's like, clearly they were just like nodding their head through the whole thing being like, fuck yeah. But it's like, oh, this, just, I, I can't say this is good publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that, um, that's typical AAA stuff, you know, it's like, quick, we need an excuse you know, let's take a word from the thesaurus. Um, lacking Faustian soul. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's so good. Lacking Faustian soul is like perfect. Fucking like anus or DMU. I like this, but I'm not going to tell you diction. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll fucking... <laughs> Dude... When they fucking hyped birth AD, my god, that is the word, the, the birth uh, AD, I blame you. I will say this, and I don't mean to, any, to, offend any, to offend all three people who actually like this, but birth AD, I blame you, is the worst metal album in existence. It literally is. I've, I, I have no idea what the fuck oh, that is. is. This is some thrash band, like, yeah, or a, some crossover band. Yeah, it's, it's literally crossover ba ba band with, like, the... Um, I, it, it technically, it's the actually it's the bassist from Aversafira doing the vocals. Technically, oh, and they, like you guys all love Aversafira, right? Well, you know, well that's uh, that's standard anus DMU no, no, stuff. Know, at least I know that's. I'm just saying that for the listeners. Yeah, you know, a lot of anus people. Uh, you know, I know Prozac was pushing Aversafira because of his fr friendship with uh, with them, but you know, I honestly think the, the not the uh, the the two last albums have some great ideas. But they're nowhere near as good as what, you know, Anus says, you know, no amount of uh, pseudo high school dropout philosophy can make them sound <laughs> good, you know what I mean? Although looking at Birth AD, I see it's got a couple guys from Imprecation, and that's one where it's like, oh, Imprecation is like all-star shit for me. That And that's a very like Anus DMU kind of band, but fuck, Imprecation's so good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I bet the French bands listened to Ever Sephira. I wouldn't be surprised. I could see that. Yeah. I, I could see that. Or like a, another big like anus DMU band, but one that I always really liked was uh, Crimson Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you've ever listened to them. Like imagine like Immolation as a Black Death band playing at 300 BPM. Just like That sounds hyper really good. It's really fucking cool. A buddy of mine actually did their logo. It's funny. <laughs> um, no, yeah, Crimson Massacre, uh, The Luster of Pandemonium. Sick fucking album. Totally great. You know what it is? For me, it's Angel Corpse that I like. You know? Mm. Angel, Corpse <laughs> Angel Corpse is just very fast thrash. I could see that, yeah. Like, Angel Corpse is something that it's like, it should be hitting all my notes, but I just never got into it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like Angel Corpse, but it's like, essentially, I have one idea, it's a really good idea, and I'm gonna play it for 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. It's very one note. Well, I mean, that's kind of the... I mean, that's the limit of all, or at least until recently, all kind of war-type metal shit, I feel. is you know, it's... You don't have a lot of room for dynamics when you're doing shit like that. So, what are you left with? I mean, you fuck around with texture, you know, you you, you fuck around with some 
sort of like weird rhythmic ideas. Well, well but Angel Corpse is very riff driven. So for him, it's just you keep writing like highly above average death thrash riffs. You know, like that's the variation. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird because I, I love so many bands that are like hyper one out. Like I remember when we were uh, recording the first session before uh, the Black Metal guy came on, me and Nick were talking about Ripikolu. And mm-hmm. and Nick was saying something to the effect of it. It's just one riff for 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a sick riff, though. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that riff, to be honest. I don't get it. They could play it for two hours. <laughs> Well, you're you're also talking shit about demoncy for the same reason. It's one riff for forty five minutes. I just say, yeah, it's the best riff ever. Who cares? <laughs> it's not even a riff. It's just one note played forever. Man, what what do we want Nick's? I bet yeah, I bet there's shit that we want Nick's opinion on. What 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 else is? Um, huh. I I you know what? Like going back to it because he he's he skimmed over briefly. Nick, what is your hot take about McGlaw? Oh yeah, no, I want to hear that. Oh, man, I haven't listened to them. You know what? Every try, every time I try to listen to them, I struggle to. No, but honestly, I think they're really good at creating melodies, but they're constantly stuck around on the same tonal center. You know, you can tell, like, um, especially on the last one, uh, what was it? Excuse? Age of Excuse? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think there's some great melodies. Where I'm like, okay, 15 minutes, I get I get the point, because I get the impression it's like, um, it's like, his variation on theme one, you know, it sounds like classical music where a guy will be like, okay, I came up with this really cool theme and here's a million variations of it. That's what it kind of sounds like to me. I can see that. Yeah, I, I can definitely get where you're coming from. I think I think we on the show just have a lot of tolerance for explorations of the same idea over and over. Well, I'm not going to put words in my co-host's mouth, but for me, it's just like, yeah, it's variations on one theme, but their mastery of that theme is so complete that it's like, okay, yeah, I'll definitely listen to 40 minutes of this same idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're very good at what they do. No one can deny that. In, in that style, they have complete mastery. And I think they've only been getting better, you know, and like, you know, they're not just like a flash in the pan, you know, no matter what you think of that style. They're definitely, you know, I think Age of Excuse is much better than, you know... Uh, uh, Exercises, yeah. I, I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think Exercise is the weakest album. Oh, do you? Interesting. I thought that was your favorite. Oh no, no, uh, no, you you like with Hearts Towards Nine. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, Age of Excuse is great, but it's a it's the best possible rock black metal album. You know, but I think it's way less rock than anything they've released. It's like the most black metally. You Um, think so? Yeah, like Exercises. No, no, not exercises. The one, sorry, sorry. I meant the one after. I meant Age of Excuse. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, age, exercises is for sure a rock record. Yeah, um, it's a, um, it's it's the world's best modern goth rock record. You know? I, I think I, I, I may be that asshole who thinks that their best is still Grozzo, though. Um, Grozzo's really good. I yeah. revisited that recently, and it's like, I I, I can. It, it's much more subtle than with Hearts Toward None. Like, they figured out how to build big hooks into those songs uh, with Hearts Toward None. But if you want, like, the real, like, underground black metal version of McGlaw, yeah, just listen to that, Grotto. That's, it's amazing. that's where all the uh, oi subtext is on the surface. <laughs> um, Let's so. see. Oh, what, what, what other hot takes? Um, I mean, this is... I already know the answer to this, but uh, 
Let's talk about some like modern raw tape black. Nick, how do you feel about Lamp of Murmur or something? <laughs> I think I listened to them once on YouTube and think, uh, you know, I, uh, it didn't strike me uh, enough for me to have an opinion on them. All right, let's see. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> let's see. How do you feel about? Uh, What's what's cool now? What are the kids listening to? Oh, there we go. Something we covered on the show. There we go. How do you feel about Cacta Rock? <laughs> I haven't listened to them enough yet, to be honest. <laughs> I like how he says enough yet. Like the 15 seconds wasn't enough to tell him. <laughs> yeah. now, honestly, you know, now I, I realize I've got to listen to something quite a few times over a long period of time. You know, there's no point in listening to something... T- you know, three times in a row. You can't make get a good opinion of it. Hmm. I don't know. I, I I feel like I've got I've gotten a pretty good opinion of shit listening to it once before. <laughs> I, that's that that's that's an interesting point, Nick. I, I try to listen to things a couple times for the show, but I don't I, I don't always. Uh, sometimes sometimes I listen to it like four times or something, but sometimes just once. Um. I think if um. I think there are things that I initially think that are bad that might turn out to be good if I listened to them more. Um, but, yeah, that, that that's the thing. I think I can write things off too quickly, or I have in the past. You know, my, my hot take is now I, rem- I actually remember this. I can't believe I forgot this. But um, the Mlod... Whatever, the Mod she I, don't, I, I can't fucking yeah. read that. yeah. That that EP is, I think, is honestly one of the best um, black metal EPs ever. I really oh, the, the Migla one? Yeah, I think that one's fucking amazing. It's got, only got two songs, but they're great songs. Interesting. I haven't hmm. heard that. It's really oh, yeah, I, I heard that on, like, a comp way back. Um, but I also had the, like, Crushing the Holy Trinity stuff. You know, their very first material ever on Northern Heritage. And uh, you could hear the seeds of it there. Like, uh, McGlaw always had this, like, defined... You, you could tell there was something they were reaching towards, and they fully realized it on those first couple of records, and they're just refining it now. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'm trying to think of, like, what's cool guy shit now? Well, cool guy shit... Nick doesn't listen to cool guy shit. He just listens to, like, complicated fucking, like, elegant dark metal stuff now. You know? Well, well, what... what what are you listening to now? Babylon Whores. <laughs> <laughs> what fucking year is it, man? Nineteen ninety-eight. I can. I today. I have only listened to Babylon Whores. Small dead tombs, we hear them call 
Show, baby, you do I like 